and good evening. Tonight we have a an extraordinary surprise and we are extremely excited by our guests this evening. Um, but before we get into that, Irina and I wanted to welcome you all to Camelot Castle TV network, which is fast becoming uh, an extraordinarily uh, interesting voice, even though I say it myself, it's a little bit of self-praise. Mm -hmm. We are um, joined this evening from Blenheim Palace by His Grace, the Duke of Marlborough. Good evening, Your Grace. Lovely to uh, have you with us. Um, his Grace has really been, I, I cannot thank him enough uh, for his inspiration and his encouragement. You know, there is no greater weapon than the truth. Now, tonight, I am going to have to put in a full disclaimer because you are going to hear some information that not everybody is going to agree with. You know, that's the truth. So I just want to say, first off, it's up to you if you take the data on here and you accept it as true or not. We're not vouching for its truth or we're not vouching for its untruth. We are not medical doctors. We are simply people that believe in the importance of free speech. We say at Camelot Castle that the table was, was round for a reason. And the whole purpose of Camelot is to gather together the great truth seekers of the world. And uh, that is what we are doing this evening now. So in other words, um, I'm giving full legal disclaimer. If, if you accept data on here is true, that's up to you. Take it or leave it is buyer beware check is basically, it. or you check it check for yourself, it. check it for yourself, you know, look into it because, you know, the truth will, 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 uh, can never conflict with the truth. So this is a beautiful thing. Now, tonight we are joined by Dr. Sherry uh, Tenpenny. And I'm sure she can, I'm just going to put her on the stream here. She is joining us. Uh, there we go. She'll be live in a second. Cherie, welcome to Camelot Castle. Love Thank you. you. Thank here. you so much. Um, now, um, I'm just going to give you a little bit of an introduction. Dr. Sherry uh, Tenpenny is an osteopath medical doctor, board certified in three specialities. She was the full lifetime emergency medicine physician and director of the Level 2 Trauma Center from 1986 to 1998. She's the founder of Tenpenny Integrative Medical Center, a medical clinic located near Cleveland, Ohio, opened in 1996. Her company provides a natural holistic approach to getting well and off prescription medic med medications her approaches have attracted patients from 50 states and 17 countries. Dr. Tenipenny has invested nearly 20 years and more than 40,000 hours documenting and exposing the problems associated with vaccines. As an internationally known speaker and author, her many articles have been translated into at least 12 languages. She's a frequent guest on radio and television, and she's here to share her knowledge and educate her patients on why they should say no to vaccines. That is an extraordinary amount of research by anybody's account. And Irina, you wanted some, to say something as well. Thank um, you. Thank you, Sherry, so much for coming on. This subject is very, very close to my heart. I'm very interested in the subject of vaccines. I've researched it, and um, it's a real privilege 
to have you here. And many of our viewers know you, some of them know you personally, and many of you, uh, many of them know your work. And you are quite a legend, really, in this field. And it's, it's a real honor. Thank you so much. Our viewers here today are very diverse, and some are very aware of the issues with vaccines and the safety, and some are actually pro-vaccines, some people who are watching tonight. And our interest here is to make good scientific data that is ethically derived available to the people and not have data censored by vested interests. So, um, and obviously vaccination is going to be a very big subject as we come out of the planetary lockdown. And some governments right now are openly communicating that vaccination will possibly be a determining, determining factor on how fast we go back to normal as a society. Uh, and there is a growing fear also that mandatory vaccination will be introduced. And many people are against it simply because it violates their freedom of choice, but they're not looking really deeper into the issue of the safety. And so given your background and the extensive research you have done on the subject, could you please try and give our viewers the data on vaccines and their safety? And if possible, target it to those people in the audience who have possibly not researched it or maybe who are pro-vaccines. Wow. <laughs> you know, that's so interesting the way you say that, because that's that's the way that you presented that. I would have to preface it by saying that I used to do a two-day, 16-hour conference on this. And so everything that you've just asked me to do, you want to, you're asking me to like boil that down into a, into a soundbite. Yeah. So, um, I'm not sure where you would like to start that, that whole conversation, because do you want to start with the fact that vaccines have never been tested for safety ever? And true safety has to do with the fact that you need to, to test a, a substance against a true placebo that by definition means that the substance is inert. And most vaccines are tested against another vaccine that has already been approved for use. Or they, if it's a combination vaccine, they use as, quote, the placebo, the five individual vaccines. So you're testing one vaccine against another vaccine. So you're really, and you're doing that for safety. So you're really not testing to see if this vaccine is safe against something that is inert. You're saying, does this vaccine cause as many side effects as this one? And if it does, well, then I guess that's okay. And they use that term very loosely, placebo, because it really is not a true placebo. And in fact, in the last couple of years, I would say that because we've sort of smoked them out on the topic that it really is not a placebo, it really is not a safety test. They only follow these, these uh, trials for anywhere from seven to 14, the, some of the longest ones I've seen is 30 days, but how long does it really take for neurological and autoimmune problems to develop? It can take months to years. And if it happens after the fact, well, it had nothing to do with the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And so now because we've sort of smoked them out on the fact that this really isn't placebo and it really isn't a safety test. Now in some of the newer trials, they don't even try to fool you and use the word placebo. They use the word comparator. So we're going to have this new vaccine and we're going to look at the side effects in this comparator. And if it's the same, because we've already decided this one's safe and effective, then if those side effects are the same, well, then this new vaccine, we're going to call it safe. 
So from my, in my opinion, and a lot of people other than me who've looked at this really from a scientific perspective, that blows the science out of the water right there. I mean, in step one, that vaccines are, have not been proven to be safe in the short or the long run. And in the US, the only thing that they consider an adverse reaction for the most part, I mean, they can talk about sore arms or, or serva, which is shoulder injury after vaccination, or they can talk, are, are the only ones that they really call bad reaction, or reactions are something that's anaphylaxis or death. Mm. And if you don't have anaphylaxis or death, then any of the other symptoms or, or diseases that develop, such as asthma, allergies, eczema, ADD, ADHD, insulin-dependent diabetes, cancer, autoimmune disorders, a long list of neurological things, well, those don't really count. Because if you didn't have anaphylaxis or death within a very narrow window of that's arbitrarily defined by the FDA, then whatever you developed after the fact, it was an underlying thing that you were going to have anyways. And so therefore it had nothing to do with the vaccines. So the whole concept of safety, number one, in even the, the current vaccination schedule gets kind of blown out of the water. Right. And then coupled with safety is because we always hear these two words together, safe and effective, right? Safe right. and effective, safe and effective. Like they are, like they do a dance and they are, they're, the two things are together. But if you look up the Webster Dictionary definition of effective, what effective means is that the substance or the method or whatever you're doing delivers an intended result. That's the definition of effective. If I do something and it results, if I do A and it results in B and I wanted it to result in B, then I would say that A was effective in, in resulting in B. Uh -huh. Well, when it comes to vaccine science, when you inject foreign matter into a, into a human body, which is what is coming through that bile, is literally foreign matter. For years, I thought it was just a little sterile, bio, it's a little attenuated virus in some water until I found out of all the hundreds of chemicals the foreign protein, the cow blood, the chicken fibroblasts, the egg particles, the stuff that comes from, from a dog kidney cells, the stuff that comes from, from arm, Swiss army worms. I mean, all that stuff is in these vaccines, not in every vaccine, but if you get all the vaccines, you get little doses of all of it. Ah. And so what you're injecting is foreign matter. And if the intended result is to develop an antibody, then, and that happens most of the time. In fact, in research, that's the only thing that they're really looking for. Does this cause anaphylaxis or death? No. Does it, does do I, do I inject it as a development antibody? Good. It's effective. Let's bring it to market. But the general consumer, the people who are actually hearing this, they interpret the word infective to mean protection. Mm -hmm. And effective and protection are not synonyms when it comes to vaccines, because you can get, an, get a vaccine, have a very high antibody level and contract the illness anyways. So what you've done is you've assumed all the risk and gotten very little, if any, benefit. Wow. So those two things, when you start out with the two premises that are the most common premises of what we hear all the time in the news and the news media and advertisements is safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. And the doctors parrot it. And they just it's like uh, it's like just saying you're just being able to spell your name. It's like it rolls off your tongue. But they really don't know what that means, that vaccines can cause. And then the third part or they don't know that vaccines have really not been truly tested for safety for the long term that effective is not a synonym for protection. And that vaccines, if they don't protect you from infection, but they really can cause disease. And I've worked really hard in the last year or so to change the language around that and saying these childhood illnesses, we should call them infections 
because that's what they are. Measles, mumps, rubella, chicken pox, pertussis, and infection, which is a, uh, a process that comes and goes in seven to 10 days and in the vast majority of people leave behind a lifetime of immunity. It's not a big deal. People have bronchitis and sinus infections and bladder infections and they cut their finger and they get infections all the time. Right. But what, so it's really not a disease because by definition, what is a disease? A disease is something that comes and stays. It's like a heart attack, a stroke, right. muscular dystrophy, MS, um, neurological disorder, seizure, chronic seizure disorders. Those are diseases. Mm -hmm. Well, then here's the caveat. If you get a vaccine and you get a, an antibody and it doesn't keep you from getting sick because you can have high antibody levels and still contract the infection, but the vaccine comes and causes a long-term disability disease for which now you are pretty much a customer for life to the pharmaceutical industry to be able to take drugs to manage your disease. What is vaccination at its core really doing? And is it worth injecting this foreign matter to get an antibody that doesn't really protect you to cause a disease that can cause a long-term disability? Is it really worth taking on that risk to really at the core avoid a fever, a cough, a rash and some diarrhea, mm -hmm. which is really what the childhood infections are mostly about. I completely agree. Um, and there are people who basically choose to follow that road and build the immunity naturally, and they get labeled by with all sorts of terminology and presented as danger to the society, danger to other children. And very often what they run into is, well, we need vaccines because look at all the diseases that we used to have. We don't have polio anymore. We don't have all this other horrible illnesses so how do you what do you respond to them what do these people well it's interesting that in our boot camp course i mean we go through all of these things and we lay out the foundation so we twice a year we do a vaccine boot camp course it's mastering vaccine info is the boot camp course and we just finished the spring course the second the new course will be offered in september and we, in the in the in the in the somebody yes. could find that and put the link in the comment section because i'm sure some people would like to attend Absolutely, that I yeah, it's on. It's all online. We've had people from 27 countries take our courses, you know, online. And um, um, and so we start with safe and effective. And then the next thing we go through is smallpox and polio, mm. because that's always the next thing that people always bring up is, right. is that. And then the third thing we go through is herd immunity and how to read a package insert. And then the fourth thing is the ramp up of the schedules. What did the vaccine schedule look like in 1983? when there was only three vaccines compared to 2020, when now children get multiple doses of 16 or 17 vaccines, depending on how you count them. Mm -hmm. And all those cumulative toxicities, because we've never ever done any tests on synergistic toxicities or cumulative dose toxicities. And we don't understand that if children are fully vaccinated from birth to 18 years of age, they have almost 12,000 micrograms of aluminum that's injected and almost 600 micrograms of mercury that is injected, four known carcinogens and milligram amounts of foreign proteins. We've never done synergistic toxicity on that. So when we started with safe and effective, which we sort of done the overview on that, the next is all about, because it's about smallpox and polio. Yes. Because we have had a multi-generational indoctrination about that. Mm -hmm. Multi-generational, think about this. The polio vaccine came out in 1954. Mm -hmm. How many years ago was that? We've got at least two, even three generations. And yet young kids nowadays, when they're having children, they, when you ask them, if I ask, because I do like public talks and I'll say, so when I say the word polio, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Like paralysis, iron lung, kids with braces. 
and that was 1954. Mm-hmm. And this is 60 years later. And that's still the vision that we have. And when you actually analyze the polio data that comes from the government, if you want to believe the government numbers in terms of all of the polio uh, stats that come back from 1954, 55, when they introduced the vaccine, mm-hmm. was that 97% of children who were exposed to a polio virus during the time when it was very endemic and there was a lot of polio virus out in the environment, mm-hmm. 97% of those kids either had asymptomatic illness that passed through their gut because polio is a gastrointestinal virus, passed through their gut, <coughs> left behind them a lifetime of immunity, or had something that looked like a mild gastrointestinal flu or maybe a little bit of food poisoning. About 2% had something that looked like viral meningitis mm. and less than 0.004% of people who contracted a polio illness had any form of paralysis at all. And of those forms of paralysis, over a two-year period of time, almost all of it resolved. And if yes, you always have residual, there's small subsets of people that have long-term disability from any infection, not just polio. Mm -hmm. And so when you really look at those numbers and you really, really break them down, and it took me probably five years to find the stats, maybe even longer, to find the stats in just the United States alone on how many people during about 1952 to 1956 were actually on an iron lung machine. And I actually was able to find some of that data through the post-polio syndrome here in the United States, where there's, you know, several hundred, maybe even a few thousand people who had some level of paralysis back in the day in the 50s. And now they've got numbness and pain and some weakness in their residual in their legs that they call it post-polio syndrome. And the people from that from that to nonprofit were able to provide me with some documents from the 1950s. And it appears as though there were only a few thousand Um, iron lung machines in the whole country. And not all of them were fully occupied. And remember, the iron lung machine is the precursor of today's modern day ventilator. And so the numbers are extraordinarily small for which we have hung this entire polio vaccination campaign. In fact, today, I think the stats, if I remember them correctly, for 2018, the global stats on polio Um, I think there were something like 900 cases maybe in the whole world. And of those, we don't even know how many had were complete paralysis. Don't hold me to that number. I can get that exact number to you later and get it back to you. Um, But the numbers were extraordinarily small. And the only people that are contracting polio these days are those that in the countries where they are still using the oral polio vaccine, which is a wild or which is a wild virus that you take underneath the tongue, which can cause paralysis. So when you actually really drill down and you really understand the same thing about polio and you really look at the numbers and you understand the real data, not just what you've been told over and over and over and over again about polio and paralysis and iron lung, it's a whole different story. And the same thing about smallpox. They think that less than 10% of the world population was actually vaccinated with a smallpox vaccine and that the virus just died, burned out and died out on its own. And there were two forms of smallpox, smallpox major, and smallpox, it was variola major and variola minor. The variola major was the one that would rage and we had lots of epidemics and things through the 1400s, 1500s, 1600s because it was a filth disease, F-I-L-T-H, a filth disease. We didn't have hygiene, we didn't have running water, we didn't have sanitation, we didn't have soap. And you know, so we certainly had open sewages and things like that. So it would propagate through. 
But by the early 1900s, that virus had, it had attenuated itself mm. and had weakened to the place where they called it variola minor. Mm. And that if you contracted smallpox anywhere after the 1900s, the vast majority of cases were a couple little spots. And that was it. But yet we, you know, the, the, uh, the CDC and the World Health Organization claim complete eradication of smallpox. And it was all because of the vaccine. And actually the thing that, that eradicated it the most was hygiene and quarantine. That's what made it go away. Yeah. And what so when, pe so when people, I'm sorry, John. So when people, I just want to say, when people throw out that argument or the whole thing about, you know, they, they just don't quite understand it. They've never really gone into it. I always kind of chuckle a little bit and I kind of kind of want to whisper, your, your ignorance is kind of showing. You really don't know much about what you're talking about. All you're doing is just like repeating something that you've been told without ever really doing any investigation. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we, one of the subjects that we were going to touch on before you came on the show, because you were able to come on a little earlier, mm -hmm. um, is actually the subject of mass hypnosis or, or brainwashing, mm -hmm. which I believe is actually occurring to a very large degree at the moment. And I have a very interesting definition of brainwashing. I say that uh, it's the acceptance of data without having personally inspected it for yourself. You know, and these days, so many people will look in the newspaper and accept information without personally inspecting it for themselves. And I think one of the reasons that we've seen such an overreaction, in my opinion, it's an overreaction to the COVID-19 situation, is actually down to a form of mass hypnosis and mass brainwashing. And, you know, we were we were uh very very concerned we went up in one to, into one of the local towns i won't even say which one but i literally could see people almost in a hypnotic state um as a result of the sort of commands if you like the hypnotic commands that have been laid in um i i i just to go back to this point on 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 polio um what do you think um cause that disease to fall away because of course we don't see that so much today what do you what do you feel is the actual reason that polio uh has is no longer with us do you think the vaccine did do anything to help or do you think that it was other factors i think it was hygiene number one because remember this is a gastrointestinal virus and it was the gastrointestinal virus that there's a lot of data to support that it's the gastrointestinal virus in combination with ddt and that the, the two things rather got act, the virus sort of, the DDT made people susceptible and the virus became more activated. Like, you know, there's some theories now about the, co, the, co, the uh, SARS-CoV virus with uh, 5G. And is that being activated in, in a certain particular way that's making it more aggressive in people that are more susceptible? Well, there's a lot of data that shows that, you know, DDT and the polio viruses may have had some similar synergy to cause some neurological problems. And we don't use DDT anymore. So I except in except in India and in some of the places where they still use DDT in India, they have they have non-polio acute flaccid paralysis at fifty thousand cases a year, which was worse than what the polio paralysis had ever been ever. So you, what you're saying is it could have actually have been the use of DDT in combination with this gastroenteral virus or whatever. Excuse my my way of saying the words, mm -hmm. but. Um, so it could have been a combination of that or possibly even a reaction to DDT that actually 
that because DDT is obviously we've stopped using that for a reason. So um, that that's very very interesting. Now, when we spoke on on the phone this afternoon, um, you know, I explained that on the group tonight, and, and and one of the things I would ask everybody to do that hasn't done it, press the share button mm. on your mm. Facebook Live. Mm. Um, it, it, it might save somebody's life, or it might not, you know, but it might. So do press the share button. Um, going to the current situation, could you take us through what are the the three key points the three key points um his grace the duke of marlborough has just observed fake news you know <laughs> and i think that is that is that is the point um you know we 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 have been brainwashed you know into accepting data um through through various different things what would be what would you like people to understand about the current <laughs> you know we're we're confronted with something where you know in this country we are possibly days away from being told we've got to have a compulsory vaccine it's been indicated yeah and um to me apart from the the human rights aspect i want to know what are the health consequences to that could you please don't hold back you're among friends there's no gotcha questions for you here um we just want the the data you know that's what we want well when we spoke this morning john was it was morning for me it was afternoon for you yeah very early for me right. but, but it started my day out right and the day has gone very well ever since then so it was a great way to start my day i tell you whose fault it is eric <laughs> booty's fault because he texts me an hour before so i thought <laughs> and, and, and he's an hour behind me. Right. <laughs> so he's an hour behind me. He's a great, great, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. He is. We've been friends for a long time. It's been great. So uh, you asked me, you said, what points would I really want to deliver? And I actually came up with four that I think are really pertinent, not only to people in the United States, but people in the UK and around the world. And I think that one of the most important things is to understand a little bit about coronaviruses. I mean, there's 30, there's a whole family of viruses that they're called coronaviruses, and there are 36 of them, and that they have been in circulation for at least six decades, for at least 60 years. We've had coronaviruses that they've been testing for and been looking for and observing for for a long time. They've done surveillances on them. They know what the, how many people actually end up with coronaviruses every year. And these are, these are published studies. These are studies published in, in vaccine and in various different journals. Of those 36 viruses in that viral family, there are four that are commonly, that are, uh, there are four substrains that commonly cause infections in humans. Of those four, of those four substrains, they cause the, the things that we see, fever, cough, not, heavy cough, starts with a dry cough, goes to a heavy cough, persistent, can have some gastrointestinal symptoms along with it, body aches and chills. And there was an article that I found that, that actually says that any in any given flu season, which in the Northern Hemisphere is defined as be, being from August to about April, wow. that about 15% of that illness that we would call the flu, that 15% of that illness is caused by influenza viruses. And up to 20% additional and separate from that are caused by coronaviruses. So these viruses have been around causing respiratory problems and lung problems for a really long time, 60 years. 
So when they first started all of this stuff about all of this testing, they've been doing coronavirus testing for a long time. In fact, I pulled up a study here. I was going to read you a little stat. Mm -hmm. This study was published in the Journal of Clinical Virology in April of 2018. So that's recent. That's a very recent study. And the name of the study is Human Coronavirus Circulation in the United States from 2014 to 2017. During that three-year period of time, they tested 854,575 tests. So this whole big thing about get tested, get tested, get tested, and making it sound like it's really novel and you need to run out and get this test, They've been doing this for a long time, John, a long time. And the percentage, the, the highest percentage was between December and March. In March, they had different, in the, of those four viruses that were commonly associated with coronavirus illness, they were upper and lower respiratory tract infection. Uh, there were 117 different laboratories that were doing these testings. And what they found was that, yeah, it's pretty pervasive. And, you know, for the most part, it's pretty minor illness and most people recover and it's really not a big deal. But, you know, of course, we got to do the surveillance looking for any novel one of these coronaviruses that might show up. And so the prevalence, it's, it's really so when they started doing this testing, when all they started saying everybody needs to go get a test, what test were they doing? Were they doing antibody tests, their nonspecific screening for these four viruses that have been out in circulation causing human illness for 60 years? Mm. Were they doing, and then they were doing nasal swabs, throat swabs, they did fecal swabs, they found out that the virus shows up in your stool, and then they started doing blood spots that they were looking for IgG antibodies, which means is that specific enough that that's today's virus that we're, we're concerned about? Or is it more about any of the, those four viruses that you could have had? An IgM antibody testing, which generally recommend, uh, means that you're having an acute infection. But if you have an acute, auto, auto, uh, uh, acute antibody thing going on, but you have not a fever and not a cough and not chills, what does that really mean? And then they started lumping in all of the different testing from all over the world. And now we know there was even an, art, an article in the New York Times just a couple of days ago that they say that this, this SARS-CoV-2 virus that they think started this whole thing, possibly in Wuhan, has now morphed and changed into 30 different strains, 30, 3-0, 30 different strains. And we've kind of had a suggestion from the beginning, a thought from the beginning that what was happening in Wuhan was a different strain that was happening in Iran, which was a different strain than in Italy and maybe Northern and Southern Italy. And it was a different strain that was happening in New York and a different strain that was happening in Los Angeles. So how can you create a vaccine that you have no idea what you're testing for? And to tell everybody that they need to go out and get tested to make sure that you're okay so you can go back to work, what are they testing for? Yeah. And what sort of data are they using? And if you end up with an IgG antibody, does that mean that you are immune for life and you will never get this infection again? No. Absolutely not, because we know that from all of the childhood antibody, all the childhood vaccines, all the childhood illnesses that you go out and get something that's called a titer test, T-I-T-E-R, a titer test, which is an antibody level. And there's an assumption, and it's purely a medical assumption, that if you have a certain level of antibody, that is a protection that you're not going to get sick. Well, we already talked about that a little bit on effective, that you can get to have a very high antibody, even high antibody titers to tetanus, and still contract tetanus. So if that's the case, it's true for all of them. It's true for all of them. So now they want you to get this test to say that you've got an antibody so that you're clean and you can get this little certificate that says, I can get go back to work and get on an airplane. 
proving what? And if there's four other viruses that cause this illness out there in circulation, plus this SARS-CoV-2, this that what they think is a new virus that now has 30 different versions of it, it's just the biggest bunch of nonsense I think I've ever seen in my life. And yet we have shut down the entire global economy. We've caused people to lose their jobs, to lose their homes, to lose their livelihood, to lose their businesses over a big messy pot of non-science. Mm -hmm. And now there is this mass rush to try to develop a vaccine that here in the US, they are now operating under Project BioShield in, in the PrEP Act, which we can talk about in a few minutes. I'm very but interested in, yeah. But now that we've got, but this whole coronavirus stuff has been around for a long time. And when they run out and tell you to get tested, it's like, get tested for what? And what does it prove? I have an antibody, so what? So what? And if I don't have an antibody, what does that mean? Because here's, an, here's a, an example for you. If I get a flu shot and I do not get the flu, is it the flu shot? Or is it because my vitamin D was level was 80 mm -hmm. or because I ate well or because I washed my hands and I got plenty of sleep? Was it the flu shot? Mm -hmm. But what about the other side of the coin? I do not get a flu shot and I don't get sick mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. So what do you attribute that to? Mm -hmm. And so does the flu shot do anything? And I could do a whole hour and a half on that. Mm -hmm. It does absolutely nothing. And we know in this particular environment, if you've had a flu shot, you can test positive for coronavirus. If you've had a flu shot, according to a new military study, it says that it increases your risk of developing coronavirus infection sorry, 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 by 36%. Sorry, just, just one second. If you've had a flu shot, you could test positive for coronavirus. Yes, because you have a 36% increased risk of developing a coronavirus infection if you've had a flu shot. Wow. Military study data just came out. I mean, that is, I think that's shocking. I don't know what anybody else thinks. I think that is shocking. The whole thing should be shocking. Yeah, it's like such a big, best, much of nonsense. I, I, it's so much nonsense. And the people say the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. It's like saying safe and effective. Like somehow because they repeat it over and over again, it makes it true. It's unreal. Mm. It's like a mass hypnosis. It's mm. like a, ma I don't know, there's no other word for it. It's a it's brainwashing. It is absolutely brainwashing. But I did interrupt you. So and no, no, it's okay. I just want to tell people: press the damn share button, and please, please do that. Please, this this great lady. Just so you know, uh, there is nobody in the United States, probably, probably in nobody in the world, mm -hmm. that has done the research that this young lady has done, and for her to be so giving of her time. We really, really appreciate it. And um, so His Grace the Duke of Marlborough is saying, thank you very much, Mr. Gates and Big Pharma. Mm. Uh, so that's his- we can, we, can, we can go after that point next. We're gonna have a go at him. And, we're gonna, uh, and we can go back around. You tell me what order you want me to do this continue in. Continue because you're doing absolutely, this is, this, this is exactly uh, what this country and to be honest with you, we have a lot of people on here from Florida, a lot of people on here from California, a lot of people on here. Uh, I'm going to be speaking to some of the top people in Washington. It's actually tomorrow night. And this is what people need to hear. This communication is going to be heard. So whatever you need to say, 
uh, please do continue. Well, I want to go on just a little bit more about that because this whole thing, you know, you talk about brainwashing. There was a marketing plan, a literal marketing plan. I have the PDF file I can send to you uh, that was published in either 2000, somewhere 2003, 4, 5, somewhere around there, that it was called the seven step recipe for getting people to vaccinate. And one of the steps in the recipe, and I will I'll drop it into your WhatsApp when we're done with this, because you should see this. It's a PowerPoint presentation that I've got it saved as a PDF file. And, and one of the steps is to say the word deadly over and over and over again. You know, the more, the more times you can say it on news, in print, in sound bites, this year's flu is gonna be really deadly, get your mm -hmm. shot. This coronavirus is really deadly, really deadly. Look at all those ventilators that we ordered, that people were dying from ventilator mismanagement mm. because it's a blood-borne disease. It's not a lung disease. Mm. And so we've actually been treating the wrong end of the stick. And so, um, so they say it over and over again. And so when you talk about brainwashing, use of NLP techniques, use of neuro-linguistic programming, mm. you listen, uh, yes. Over and over again, because all this news reports, oh, every day we hear about the death rate, 10 more people die, you hear it on the radio, the death rate in Ohio now is this. Mm. The death rate is absolutely irrelevant mm. unless you know what the denominator is. If 100 people have died and there are 1,000 people that are sick, well, that's a 10% death rate that's probably significant. Mm. But if 100 people die and a million people were sick, and the most of those million people weren't even sick enough to go to the doctor. Mm. They may have just treated themselves at home with some vitamin D and some zinc and some vitamin C and took some echinacea and some and some um, elderberry extract and they just got better. Mm. We don't, you, those don't even go into the stats. So if you have a million people, a hundred people die and a million people that maybe were sick, what is that number? It's 0. 0.000 something. And now if there are 10 million people that are sick, that number is inconsequential. It doesn't matter. Now it matters to those individual people. And that's not to make, make light at all of anybody that's dying and lost a family member. I've lost family. I've lost my husband a few years ago. I know the pain in the morning of what happens when you lose a family member. So please don't misinterpret what I said. I'm purely talking about numbers. And they did the same thing back in 2005 because I took a longitudinal look at this. When I started looking at it, I said, well, let me see. I wrote an article. It's on Vaxter, V-A-X-X-T-E-R.com, my Vaxter site. And it's a, uh, um, the name of the article is Same Playbook, Different Virus. So they did this in 2002 with the SARS virus, where they actually had people stay home, stay home from school, wear masks when you went out. They, they stayed home from there. They did social isolation, but they didn't call it that at that time. That was in 2002. Then in 2005, I actually wrote a book on the bird flu in, in real time with H5N1, which was the bird flu in 2005. And they were saying that H5N1 was so deadly. In fact, it was a 50% death rate. Anybody that got H5N1, 50% of those people died. Terrorized the entire population hmm. until you drilled down on the numbers. Again, there were millions of people that were not even sick enough to go to the doctor. And the only people they were testing were people in the intensive care unit. So if you had 100 people in the intensive care unit and all 100 of them tested for H5N1, the bird flu virus, and 50% of those people died, which was only 50, but they skewed those numbers, they rolled that 50% death rate into the general population and scared everybody to death, just like they're doing now. 
And then we did the same thing in 2009 with the SARS virus. And then we did this fast track, get those vaccines to market, rush, 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 rush. We had the fastest to development vaccine that I'm aware of. And the name of the vaccine was Pandemorex. And that was for the H1N1 vaccine. It was one of the, the swine flu vaccines in 2009. And what ended up happening with Pandemorex over the long haul was they found that Pandemorex caused severe brain damage and, and a, a thousands of people were left with a condition called um, narcolepsy, which means that you could be talking long and you just lose consciousness. Yeah. That's what narcolepsy is. And thousands of people had narcolepsy. And think about it. We had swine flu vaccines back in the, in the 70s where thousands of people got Guillain-Barre syndrome and, and never recovered from that. So this fast-tracking stuff to get vaccines to market for no good reason other than wash your hands, take vitamin D, vitamin C, vitamin A, and, um, and, and don't go out when you're sick. Mm. Go out when you're healthy. Go out. When, since when do we start putting masks and gloves on healthy people mm. and assuming that they are filthy and contaminated and they're like Charlie Brown's buddy pig pen that's just walking around with all this dirt and everything like behind him? Remember that cartoon carrier character oh, pig pen? I love that. You know? And so it's like, so the whole, they think the whole world is contaminated unless, of course, you're vaccinated. Well, you see, of course, one of the great uh, sort of here hip, hypnotic educational words is Oxford University. Yeah. As soon as you say Oxford University, all of a sudden, or Imperial, College. or Imperial College, as soon as those words, of course, everything that follows those two words has to be true, mm. right? Mm. And in the news, we were, we were informed two days ago that Oxford University has now uh, started human testing mm. on a vaccine. Um, could you speak to that? Because His Grace the Duke of Marlborough uh, of course, Blenheim Palace is right on Oxford's doorstep. Uh, so uh, I, I, we would just love to know what, are, what is your view on that study? Do you have a view? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know. I, I have, I haven't, um, you just, um, I, I could, would be happy to give you a full report, but I'm going to tell you the preliminary part of what I've looked at the, at the couple of articles. Number one, this vaccine is being uh, brought to market by, they are, modifying a an adenovirus. An adenovirus is a type of virus that generally causes the common cold. And this particular adenovirus comes from monkeys. It's a ch chimpanzee adenovirus. I don't know, last time I checked, I don't generally get chimpanzees adenoviruses. Mm -hmm. And they are gonna modify it and they're going to buckle on what's called, what's called the, the S protein. Now, on the surface of these coronaviruses, there are a series of about eight proteins, if I remember correctly. Um, I think there's seven or eight proteins, one of which is what they call the spike protein or the S protein. And they're assuming that that is the correct protein that causes uh, viruses, once it goes into your body, that it binds to your, to your cells and causes it to replicate. So if we can create an antibody to that S protein, which now they've taken a monkey virus and they've, and they've, and they've genetically modified it with a coronavirus. So now on the surface of this monkey virus is an S protein. And if they can develop an antibody to that S protein, then perhaps when they take that vaccine that will create that antibody and inject it into humans, somehow that will be a close enough match that that antibody will neutralize coronaviruses in humans. I mean, that's step number one that I think is pretty egregious and pretty disgusting. 
Well, Step number two is the fact that when they actually do the clinical human trials, again, like we already talked about safe and effective, about safety, with the, the placebo vaccine, the placebo substance that is supposed to be totally inert that they're using is a meningitis vaccine. So now they're going to compare the side effects of a meningitis vaccine to the side effects of this brand new, we don't even know how it works vaccine. And if the side effects turn out to be the same, they're going to call it safe. Wow. Wow. And they have put uh, they have put lots of money into this. This is the one article that I that I saw when I pulled out uh, that they've already allocated. Uh, I'll give you the exact number. They are allocating um, twenty million Great British pounds to Oxford University and another twenty two point five million Great British pounds to Phase two testing at the Empirical College of London. Yeah. Why do they need that much money to like? inject a couple of monkeys and, and do a couple of people. I've always wondered why these vaccine trials were so freaking expensive. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they're only going to test like a thousand people and they'll probably give them a, a $50 go uh, Home Depot gift card or something to be part of their gl clinical trials, which is kind of what they do. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine sacrificing your baby to a vaccine clinical trial for a $50 Home Depot gift card? It's kind of what they do. It might be Home Depot, it might be Walmart. I mean, I don't want to badmouth them, but that's that's what they do. And that there's no, so they're using a genetically modified coronavirus, which has never been seen before. They have never tried to develop a vaccine against an S protein. They are now using a chimpanzee adenovirus. And there's this assumption that that S spike protein is the correct one. And the placebo is going to be a meningitis vaccine. I mean, what else, I mean, what else could possibly go wrong? What else could go wrong, you know? And, and after a while, I sort of have to be sarcastic and sort of laugh about this because if you don't, you're just going to be smashing things mm -hmm. because it's so obscene and so absurd. And it's a, it's the, uh, John, I think it's the greatest, the absolute greatest um, scam ever perpetrated on humanity mm -hmm. that you can inject foreign matter into a little baby mm -hmm. and in any way improve its health. And all you're trying to do is avoid a fever, a cough, a rash, or some diarrhea. And now we have made those children customers for life, which was one of the Gates Foundation's intended roles in this. The Gates Foundation put up $10 billion in the U.S. in 2010 to, to, to call between 2010 and 2020 the decade of vaccines. They fully funded Gavi, the Global Alliance for Vaccine in, in, uh, um, Vaccination and Immunization. Gavi works in conjunction with the World Health Organization and UNICEF to distribute vaccines all around the world in various places. And, to, and they go in and they vaccinate children in these third world countries who are malnourished, who need clean water, housing, safety, and food more than they need a vaccine. And they go in and they do these clinical trials and they never go back after and see what kind of carnage they cause. Yeah. Years ago, they used to do this thing called a National Immunization Day. And all of these people who would volunteer for UNICEF and volunteer for the public health departments and all the things that they're doing for, you know, global health. And they would march across the country and they would give 400,000 vaccines to all these babies that needed food, water, shelter, safety more than they needed to be shot up with poison. Now, and they all felt so good about themselves. We vaccinated all those kids. Mm. Nobody ever went back 30, 60, 90 days later and went back through those villages to see how many of those kids died or how many of those kids were permanently now sick and have no access to medicine or no have access to clean water or anything like that. Nobody ever goes back and reviews the carnage that they may have caused. They just kind of 
puff up their chest that we vaccinated all these people. That's the question for you, Sherry. Just for those who joined us recently, could you just take us through again how the CDC comes around the issue with side effects? How do you know when they say, well, this was not the vaccines did not cause epilepsy <laughs> or paralysis? How did they go around it? They literally negate it with a stroke of the pen. When you read these, when you read clinical trials and you go through and you'll say, they'll say like 870 healthy children were involved in this trial. Well, their number one is an important caveat that most people read over. Mm. 870 healthy children were in this clinical trial. <clears throat> but when the vaccine, once the vaccine is approved and brought to market, it's given to every child. If they've got cancer, if they've got autoimmune disease, if they've got seizure disorders. So those kids become true experiments because none of the vaccines have ever been tested on those kids. That The doctor just says, oh, well, we've got this new vaccine that's been tested to be safe and effective, and it protects you from getting this infection. And your child has a seizure disorder, so we don't want them to get that infection. We need to give them that vaccine. Mm. But it's never been tested on them. So that's the one thing. The second thing is, out of those 800 and let's say 875 kids in a clinical trial, um, they go through and you know they do a series of three shots. So out of 875, the next time they give 700 because those drop out because they had side effects or they didn't come back. And the next time we give 850 because those dropped out because they, they didn't come back. They never really analyzed why they dropped out. And now we're down to say 800 kids that they're gonna analyze the data on mm -hmm. out of the original 875 out of the series. So now they say, well, they had very little in the way of side effects. Yeah, because all the ones that, that had side effects dropped out, they're not there anymore. And at the end of the trial, if they say, but there were three children in this trial that died, mm -hmm. investigators decided, investigators have determined it was not related to vaccines. That's it, period and discussion. So with a, literally a stroke of a pen by the investigators say so. And what those vaccines- frame the, the, the review, the side effects? I don't know, 30, 40 days maybe? Wow. If they didn't die right after the shot, it had nothing to do with the shot. And they just absolutely just literally with the stroke of a pen. And I've read hundreds and hundreds of studies that have been like this. This is not an anomaly. And they just say, you know, study investigators have determined that the death or the seizure disorder or the Guillain-Barre syndrome or whatever had nothing to do with, with, the, with the vaccine. It had to do with something else. They had an underlying condition that they'd failed to disclose before they were part of the study. That's another big one that they use. Mm -hmm. And then here's the thing with the doctors. Because I really, really take aim at physicians. I mean, if I could spend 20 years and 40,000 hours of my time to investigate this, and I've boiled it down into bite-sized pieces that you too could spend an hour reading, what's wrong with you? Aren't you supposed to stand in the gap with your patients? Or are you just supposed to be part of the propaganda machine, selling propaganda of safe and effective? And so when so when when you when you really boil down these studies and you actually look at this at these things, um, all the doctors ever really read when they get their medical journals, they flip through. And I'm going to tell you a story about this because it really it's really true. They flip through because I you know I used to do it. I don't do it so much anymore. But you get this big stack of all these journals, right? right. And you decide that Saturday is going to be your journal reading day. So you pick up a journal and you flip through and you read the title of the study. Flip 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 flip. And yet one of them catches your eye. Then you read the conclusion of the abstract. And that's where you get your information from. You don't read the 17-page study. Mm. And, I, and I can't tell you how many hundreds of studies I have read over the year that I've read the full study. And I get down to the end of it and go, how in the world 
did they come to that conclusion from this data? How did they do that? Well, the conclusion of the abstract is what the study investigators get their next funding from because they, they, tell, they sell the story. They keep the same story going. They disrupt the story and say, wait a minute, uh, that's not really what we found. They don't get funded the next time around. So what you're actually saying is in the same way as the sort of the fake news is manipulating the narrative against Trump, within the medical industrial complex, they've got their own fake news operation going. Oh, absolutely. And who owns these journals? I suppose it's a tiny group of people that are owning the journals in the same way it's a tiny group of people owning our press and so on. And owning the and owning the scientists and funding them and any of the scientists that don't like keep with the story, they lose their funding. Like Chris Exley in the UK. Do you know Chris Exley? Chris is like the biggest aluminum researcher maybe in the world. Brain professor. Right. Yes, aluminum. He, it's aluminum that he studies. And it's not just about vaccine aluminum. I mean, he talks about aluminum in the environment and water and frogs and fish and plants and all this stuff. I mean, from the time he got his PhD, his interest was in aluminum. And what does the adverse, does aluminum have any adverse effects on the entire planet? And it's only recently that he looked at vaccine things. And as soon as he looked at vaccine things, there goes his money. And his discoveries are fascinating on the subject. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And so that's so yes. So these the conclusion of the abstract. That's how. So answering your question, Arena, is about how do they just how do they like throw out the the things that don't fit? Mm. Stroke of a pen. Really. Stroke of a pen. And and let me ask you. Um, did you did you finish your your point on the Oxford study? What would you advise people looking at that news? Well, the other thing I have not yet found, and I didn't dig down far enough, I didn't have enough time, was what are the ingredients going to be in that vaccine on that Oxford study? I mean, the new experimental vaccine, what's going to be in there? I mean, I looked at one the other day that they think that maybe it may address this new, that was a study uh, profile that I looked at, that this experimental vaccine, I think there's 30 or 40 different studies, vaccine trials going on right now, still in the laboratory. They're still trying to get it to the place where they can try, because they're going to they're gonna fast track. They're going to hop over animal studies for the most part and go straight to humans on this, which we'll talk about in a minute. Hmm. But the... Um, the one that I looked at had was loaded with aluminum and uh, beta propiolactone. Beta propiolactone is a known carcinogen. Mm. Why'd they put that in there? I mean, there's 200 different ingredients they could pick from. Why'd they pick that one? So in this new Oxford study that comes out, um, somewhere in their patent application, or in, not in their patent, in their trial, their IRB application, their, their in institutional review board application that they have to submit. In, in, in the U.S., they would submit it to the FDA. I don't know what the governing body is in the U.K., but they have to submit it to the governing body. Um, somewhere in that application would be the... Um, would be the different ingredients that are intended to be in this experimental vaccine. So we already know it's got chimpanzee adenoviruses that are genetically modified that's gonna be tested against a meningitis vaccine. But what other ingredients are in there? What other, uh, how are they, how, what other ingredients are in there? Is there gonna be tons of aluminum like there kind of is these days in most of them? Um, are there gonna be formaldehyde, 2-phenoxyethanol? I mean, what else is gonna be in there that could be a, a toxic chemical that has never been tested um, really for synergistic toxicity. We just put it in and they, they use this example of saying, it's such a small, tiny little dose, it's not gonna hurt anything. 
well, those tiny little doses of bee venom and, and <laughs> snake venom could kind of kill you. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what about those tiny little doses of, uh, of one of these known carcinogens that goes in and disrupts your DNA? And once the DNA and those cells are disrupted, by definition, when those disrupted cells propagate, by definition, that's cancer. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you this? What, what do you, why, what do you think is making this Bill Gates actually tick? Oh well, it's because because he has a he has a, a technology answer for everything. Mm -hmm. So when he first put up the money for the decade of vaccines, it was all about just in time inventory. He wanted all this stuff to line up and to be able to be developed in a in a same style as with you're developing a computer. And he truly thinks that there is a technology application for everything. That's why he's in AI. Why he's really big into artificial intelligence investigations, um, and, and he's the one who's he has this whole idea about the microchip ID tracking thing. You know, this can be coming through a vaccine or through a tattoo. Or I just got a call earlier today from a friend of mine in Australia, who somehow got a very weird app called a COVID tracker downloaded into his iPhone. He didn't go out looking for this, but the but what it did it was it automatically activated. And when he left for a little while to go out and get in his car and he went, I don't know, so he went to a store, he got a notification on his phone that says, why are you 10 kilometers from home? Wow. Why aren't you self-quarantining? Wow. So they're already trying to backdoor in this whole tracking thing, which will come with the mandates. So the mandatory vaccinations will have anything in them that they want to put in them because in the U.S. they're covered by something called the PREP Act. And I think, can I kind of go into that? You want me to go into that now? The PREP yeah. Act well, one, was actually- one point, I just wanted to, uh, uh, no, no, okay, that's that's good. Let's get into No, go it. ahead, go ahead. That's no, actually, I forgot my point, it's totally fine. <laughs> no, that's very interesting, please totally go fine. ahead. I oh, know, I, well, I was gonna say, my point was, have you noticed, because something I've noticed that people that work with computers, because mm. they're dealing with binary language, mm. like mm. ones and zeros, they tend to be very black and white in their thinking. They can't really see shades of gray. They, they, they. You know, there's, there's, there's. They, they can't really think. With, it's either yes or no. It's right or wrong. They can't see that something could be right. Something could be righter than that. They and shades of gray. They can't mm. see, see see shades of gray. Um, you know, of course, people talk fifty shades of gray, but there's actually thousands of shades of gray. Exactly. Uh, that, that that go through society hmm. or through any argument or through any logic and i i often find that with 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 people who who work or have worked with computer programming their whole lives they have a very very hard time getting to the truth because the truth requires that you can see shadings on things and so they have what i call a sort of a, a binary personality um i, I don't know if you've ever uh, I think that's a great analogy. I really do. And I agree with you. I totally yeah, agree with you. It's something I discussed with his grace the other day, actually. And uh, he, he, he very much saw that. And I, I, I'm sure somewhere deep, 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 deep down that Bill Gates believes that he's doing the right thing. I'd like to give him that credit. I, I, I don't want to see him as, as, as somebody who, uh, if he didn't, then it would be very sinister indeed. But why is he so untouchable? Why is it? Um... That's a $64,000 question, isn't it? I mean, nobody knows why he's so untouchable and why he suddenly has been given this platform. It's quite interesting, isn't it?
It's quite and, and, and I would tell you that I know some people who used to work for for one of the divisions of the of one of the Gates Foundation in Southern California, mm-hmm. and um, they they worked there for I don't know maybe a year year and a half, and they they said they couldn't they just couldn't be there anymore because the people that are there, which goes back to your comment about brainwashing, mm. that the people there were really drank the Kool Aid. I mean, it's almost like you know the. Um, Jim Jones sort of thing. Yes, this is what's right. This is what's right. Mm-hmm. We're doing the right things for humanity. Yes, we are. Look at all these people we're going to save with these vaccines and with all this education that we've done. Like, really? Education? Seriously? You know, it's like, and they really, truly believe it. And the, my friend who worked there said, I just was like, you know, you'd go home and you felt like you just walked out of the hologram. You just really couldn't deal with what was happening there. Mm-hmm. So I do believe that there is some level of kind of Jim Jonesness, you know, that I have the answer. I know that I'm right. I have all this money. Therefore, I am the great God that can provide artificial intelligence and all these vaccines. And, you know, I, I heard him on an interview today, yesterday, it was like two minutes. And the way in this, this like surly little look on his face, like, yeah, I got all the, it was just diabolical. I just, it it was a two minute interview. And at the end he was talking about how people were just going to have to change their jobs and they were just going to have to work from home and they were going to have to change their careers. And all of those millions of people that were out there that do labor type things, well, there just wasn't going to be jobs for them. Mm. I went, whoa. So is that your depopulation finger pointing at all those menial laborer task people over there because there's no jobs for them to stay at home and socially distance from people and not shake hands anymore? It was really creepy. It was very creepy. Well, I I personally see it as an extension of of the eugenics philosophy. That's 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 how I. His see dad was one of the kings of that, right? Wasn't his dad was one of the main founders yeah. in the United States for sure. So my my thing is is. Um, you know, the, the data that you're giving here is absolutely fascinating. I just want to ask everybody that's following uh, to press the share and start a watch party, because that's a very good way of, of, of getting, you know, more this data to more people. And now if you could get into that, that act uh, that we talked about, that's very interesting. It's very interesting. And the reason it's in, it's very going to be very, very interesting information to all of your listeners from the U.S., but it's also going to be interesting to people globally because this is what Gates's idea is to take this whole concept from the PREP Act and from Project BioShield to take it forward in, on a global basis. It started with it started after 9/11, you know, in the U.S., you know, 9/11, 2001, when they um, uh, every all the government people here were all concerned about bioterrorism. They were concerned about smallpox and anthrax, and you know, they were thinking about revaccinating everybody for smallpox again. And I went to several of those meetings at the CDC and and at local town meetings and helped very much to shut that down. Um, thankfully, and but they out of that Bush too, you know, Bush Jr. Uh, President Bush Jr. Uh, created this legislation. It was called Project BioShield. And it was passed into place in 2003 that what it created was a permanent and indefinite ongoing funding for any product that, that the pharmaceutical companies wanted to manufacture. It was their first go-to pot of money in the event of a bioterrorism attack. And it did three things. One of the things that it did was that it increased up the, the amount of the initial grant from 100,000 to 25 million to expedite procurement of, the, of what they needed to develop a vaccine. The second thing that it did was it guaranteed that when they created this product, 
whether it was a vaccine or a technology or a, a medication that the guarantee, the government guaranteed they would buy their entire product line from them. But what a great deal. Wouldn't you like to have your business like that, John? Have, you know, the government gives you the money to develop it and then they promise you they'll buy 100% of it once it's manufactured. And then the third thing it did is it, caused, it, it allowed the states to have um, emergency um, user authority, which means they could use this new product for whatever they wanted without any liability or with low liability, with low liability. And so this project BioShield has been around since 2003. So every time they have turned the pandemic crank, the drug companies run over to the money trough, suck out a bunch of money, and like they did for the Zika trial, like they did for the Ebola trial, you know, they already have this permanent funding source for money to go out and start to develop these pandemic-like vaccines. And then at the same time, over on the other side, the U.S. government is going, oh, we're going to set aside, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars, a trillion dollars for more vaccines, for more drugs. It's like, where does it, what? Where does this, why? You've, why do they need, first of all, why do they need that much money? And second of all, as soon as they say pandemic, oop, they get to suck in all the money. So that's Project BioShield that got passed in 2003. Now, when that got passed, which gave the drug companies this permanent forever funding source for what they wanted to develop in terms of a vaccine or a drug. They, they, sorry, sorry. Could you just explain yeah. how it got passed? I, I, I don't know. Congress. Yeah, but it, you, it went through in the sort of the last five minutes of the bill or something or. No, no, that's something that's, that's the next thing I'm going to talk oh, about. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So this is so the first. The, so phase one was Project BioShield. Yeah. That was in 2003. That created this permanent money trough for them. Well, they weren't happy enough with that. They said, that's not good enough. The pharmaceutical company, the drug maker said, that's not good enough. You need to protect us. We need to have liability protection for any product that we make because you're going to want us to make it in a great big hurry and we're not going to have time to adequately test it. So you need to protect us. So between 2003 and 2005, there was something like, I don't know, 13, 15 bills that were floated to try to give them more liability protection. And then in 2005, at 11.30 on a Friday night in December, after everybody in Congress had already gone home except a few people left in the House who had just signed off on a defense appropriation bill, Republican Senator um, Fritz, came over to the house and said, here, you're going to add, you are going to add this on the back end of the defense appropriation bill. It was called division E. And then division E became what was called the prepare, the preparedness, readiness and emergency uh, preparation act, the public readiness and emergency preparation act, which is now short. We call it the prep act. Mm -hmm. So it was forced in at 1130 at night in December on 2005, tacked on to a 2006 defense appropriation bill. And inside of that legislation was the most nefarious things that we have done for drug companies yet. We give them immunity to all drugs, vaccines, or biologics that has been labeled a covered countermeasure. And anything that is made under a declared public emergency, anything, even aspirin and Tylenol, if it's a new brand of it, that's declared, that's made under a, a declared emergency is called a covered countermeasure. So it gets immunity from all liability. It has no accountability, even if the drug companies manufactured it wrong and they had dirty processing plants and, and contaminated people, they still get liability from that. 
They have liability for any product that's used in a public health emergency declared by the HH, by the Secretary of HHS, which I'll mention in a minute, and immunity from all lawsuits. Nobody can sue them for anything. And if a bunch of people get harmed by this vaccine or die, you have to go to the U.S. Attorney General's office and convince the U.S. Attorney General here in the U.S. that those nasty, those nasty pharmaceutical companies committed an act of willful misconduct and they intentionally created something nefariously to harm you. So you have to get the U.S. Department of Justice to go against the drug companies to prove they were going to do something harmful, which how do you prove willful misconduct? Mm -hmm. And even then, and so if you got harmed, um, in order for you to make a claim for an injury compensation claim, there is a there is a place over there where they can where Congress can put a bunch of money, but right now it is currently not funded, mm. and Congress would have to patch a bunch of money to put it into that pot, and then you would have to go and make a claim that that vaccine hurt you and you deserve to get compensation, mm. and if it's never funded, then the only th thing that you have left is to try to prove willful misconduct in order to get any enforcement action out of this job out of this bill. Now this bill was activated. It's been sitting on the books since 2005. And under the current administration, on February 4th of this year, it was activated saying, we now have a pandemic, or we now have a pandemic and a public health emergency. We are now going to let the pharmaceutical companies operate under the PREP Act. And then it was actually registered registered in the federal register on March the 14th, which makes it official. So Alex Azar, and he went through every single provision because I read it. I actually went to the federal register and I read it. And he activated every single element of the PREP Act. So there is no liability whatsoever on any of these fast-tracked monkey chimpanzees adenovirus drugs ever. There's nothing that there's, there's no recourse. So when people are hearing all of this social doctrination and all these things that you were talking about, like on the news, all of the hypnosis and saying, a vaccine's coming, a vaccine's coming, we're funding it, the vaccine's coming, President Trump signed off on money so we can fund it, we're gonna fund all these vaccines. And they're conditioning people to stand in line to get injected with something that can have anything in the world in it that they want, including nanotechnology and microchipping and any sort of AI technology they want because they'll have no liability for it, none. And so, so now when Bill Gates says, we need to have liability to protection for all the drug companies that are trying to manufacture and do the right thing to get this vaccine for the world, he is getting that language and his whole idea for doing that from the 2005 PREP Act. It's the most nefarious thing ever. It's just nefarious. Well, when you told me that this afternoon, I mean, for those people and, who are familiar with how politics in America works, um, even by American political standards in Washington, that is completely shocking. And but it is the truth. And uh, thank you. Anybody can go out. There, anybody can go out there and Google it. I mean, it's all there. It's all government documents. I mean, anything that I have said tonight has all come from either peer-reviewed journals or has come from CDC or NIH or some other reputable journal that's published. It's a peer-reviewed journal. So I'm not just saying this is Sherry Tenpenny's opinion. This is that I've taken the time to dig through it. And if you want to read the two articles that I wrote about what we've kind of talked about tonight, if you go to vaxter.com, V-A-X-X-T-E-R.com, and you look for part, coronavirus part one and part two, Part one 
is same playbook, different, different vaccine. And part two is never let a good crisis go to waste. And that's all about the PrEP Act. And it has all the links that you can go directly to the act published on the Fed, Federal Register, right in, this, in the government data and, and read it for yourself. It's all right there. And it's not that I just sort of kind of interpreted it by Sherry's interpretation. No. It's cut and paste. It's cut and paste, cut and paste. Well, it's all I there. Just, just so um, on our people, because a lot of people have recently joined the feed, um, and and not everybody from the UK knows who you are. Of course, you are very, very well known in the United States. Um, in the, uh, in fact, there's in in the feed, there's a lot of very good links. That I, actually, I, I put up some of those links you gave me earlier, Vaxa.com. But um, Doctor Tennypenny is an osteopathic <laughs> medical doctor. <laughs> Sorry, Tenpenny. Yeah, ten penny. <laughs> People used to call me Tenny Penny when I was a little kid. Because <laughs> over here, you know, in the James Bond movie, we have Penny. <laughs> That's where I'm getting it. But you know. Um, but anyway, uh, the good doctor is an osteopathic medical doctor, board certified in three specialities, and you were the full-time emergency medicine uh, medicine physician and director of a level three trauma center. You're also the founder of Tenpenny Integrative Medical Center. So, you know, um, there is probably nobody uh, in this world who has done more in-depth research into the effects of vaccines. So um, I think you've gone over two of the key points now. Um, what else should we know about the current situation? Well, we've talked about the, the first one was all of it. Just a recap for the people that are listening is that, you know, we've gone over the all the things about coronavirus and the fallacy of the testing. And we don't, we'll never know. We'll never know what the, what the true death rate is of this vaccine because the data is just too mixed, messed up. It's just too messy. We'll never really know. The thing is that and, these, tests, these tests that people are banging on about that, you know, we've got to have tests, we've got to have tests. We don't know which strain of the coronavirus they are actually testing. Right. So this is extraordinary to me. So that, that's very interesting. Sorry, and, and even if they say that they now have an antibody for the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which is the one that's supposedly causing all the problems right now, even the New York Times, which is, would be the last place in the world I would think that would report this, even the New York Times says there are at least 30, 30 different versions of that virus that has morphed because it's one of those RNA viruses that continue to change out there in the environment. So as they start to chase along with a vaccine, the virus is going to be over there somewhere. It's already going to be changed. Yeah. So we've talked about the coronaviruses. We talked a little bit about their perpetual funding and about the PrEP Act and how Bill Gates wants to take the PrEP Act globally. And the last thing that I think is really, really important to talk about is this whole thing about mandatory vaccination. Yeah. I mean, are, the, are we, how will, you know, who was it that said, was it Einstein? Who was it that said that if you're willing to give up your freedoms for safety, you really don't deserve either? Mm. I mean, I don't remember who the person was that says that. It was some famous person, may have been Ben Franklin, I'm not sure. But, you know, so if we're willing to give up all of our personal freedoms for somehow the safety of this vaccine that's going to do nothing but cause harm people, it will not keep you from getting sick and the risk of it causing harm is really high. And so if we're willing to give that up, to get oh, this little... We're joined by. We are joined by the great Eric Nepute. Oh, hello. Hey, who hey, Eric. Here, who is, he's on the feed with us. Eric, do please share this with your with your great doctors and so on and so forth in the United States. Lovely to see you. 
Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. He's going to share the feed. So he's got, that's thousands of doctors that this is going to reach in America. Dr. Naputi, as we all know, is, is becoming one of the great freedom fighters. And um, I tell you who else uh, has joined us. Garvin Reynolds, who Hello, is Garvin. one of the oh, greatest thank you. living residents of Tintagel in Cornwall, which is our local village. And he is a great freedom fighter, and he's been a great friend of ours. And uh, he is most certainly a knight of freedom. So um, thank you so much. He says, Garvin says, this woman is quite incredible, John. So that is- Thank you so much. Marvelous, thank you. Um, so the whole idea of mandatory vaccination of anything, whether it's this experimental vaccine that will not have been tested and have no liability, whether it's a flu shot, whether for healthcare workers, whether it's the measles, the MMR vaccine, whether it's anything, and that we assume safe, which it's not, protection, which it doesn't, synergistic toxicity, which has never been tested. And you can read a package insert that says that every single one of the package inserts says the same thing, that this vaccine has never been tested for the ability to cause infertility, it's never been tested for carcinogenicity, meaning does it cause cancer? It's never caused, it's never been tested for mutagenicity, meaning that it causes mutations that could possibly lead to cancer. It's never been tested for teratogenicity, which means it can cause birth defects. None of the vaccines, of the 17 vaccines that your kids are getting or have gotten, none of them have ever been tested for those four things. And if you have a child or you yourself has been seriously vaccine injured, maybe has autism, maybe has neurological problems, chronic seizure disorders, it's the only area of medicine that family history is ignored. So if you have a first child that was severely injured by a vaccine, maybe even died from a vaccine, now you've got three other children and the government is telling you, line them up, they're all getting vaccinated. I could not imagine the terror in the heart of that parent. Of the, and then the government says, well, if you don't vaccinate him, we're going to take him away from you because you're not a worthy parent. Wow. How did we let this happen? How did we let these small little set of people control us like this? How did that happen? And now we're talking about mandatory vaccination to go to work, to go to a job, to go to a bar, to go to a restaurant, to go get your haircut. I mean, I started this, I joined the hashtag I need a haircut. <laughs> group because hashtag I need a haircut. And so, and so now we're going to force people to get this little card that Bill Gates says is safe. And we're going to say, this is your vaccination record. Keep it with you always. Well, guess what? It's a piece of paper. You might lose it. I know what we'll do. We'll just put it in this little chip in your hand over here. Then you'll always have it with you. If you, and we'll read it, we'll put an app on the phone. So the phone can read it and scan it when you're going to a basketball game or a soccer game, or you're going into a restaurant, you're going to get your hair cut. We got to scan to make sure that you've been clean by some obtuse definition that means nothing. Yeah. And then, oh, by the way, you know all that dirty money that you're handling, all that dirty money that might be spreading disease? We'll put that right in that little chip right over there too. Yeah. Is that what's coming? Is that really where we are? this whole mark of the beast stuff, the whole won't be able to buy, sell or trade without your vaccination record. 
It's really nefarious. And I think it's the most important thing, this ID tracking and how they're trying to, they're going to track this social traffic tracking now. Like if you've tested positive, we need to know who your people were that you were around because you might've contaminated them. Really? I mean, our human bi genome, I mean, our on our living bodies, we have somewhere around 1.3 trillion viruses and bacteria on us in us, inside of us, in our microbiomes. They're now talking about a brain microbiome, a gut microbiome, an oral flora microbiome. We have bugs everywhere. Do you have a pet? Do you have a cat or a goat or a dog or a guinea pig? What do you think are on those little animals that you pick up? Mm. What do you think when your kids crawl across the floor and pick up something off the floor and pop it in their mouth? We have, we have advanced as a human, human race in, because of our relationship with microbes not in spite of it, and that we need to, we live in, in, com, in communication and in synergy with, in harmony with our environment around us. And now we need to socially isolate, wear a mask, wear gloves, don't touch anything and use hand sanitizer everywhere. And handshaking may go away permanently mm -hmm. when handshaking has been around since probably the days of the Babylonians and maybe before. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, what are we allowing them to do to us? Standing in line six feet apart, here's your little, I mean, how 1984 does this have to get? That there's like these little yellow footprints that you get to stand on mm -hmm. and you can't go around the swing set in your neighborhood because it's got yellow tape on it now. It's contaminated. You can't go there. Mm -hmm. And how fast did this happen? In a matter of a few weeks? I mean, if there's a few Bill Gates and Fauci and whoever the other people are above my pay grade that are way at the top of this pyramid, pulling all these strings and making this happen. I had this vision a few weeks ago that they were probably sitting back in their chair and had their feet up on their desk, smoking their cigars, laughing their behinds off, going, we shut down the whole freaking world in three weeks, 7.7 .7 billion people to their knees yeah. over fear of some virus that really doesn't mean much. Can you imagine that? I, I, Look how fast they reacted and laughing their butts off at us. Well, the other thing is, of course, is they've learned that they can do it. Exactly. And this will not be the first time you see that. And is this becoming a, going to be a template? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's flu season. This is going to be the worst season, flu season ever. It's going to be deadly. Stay home, self-isolate, don't go to work. Lose your house, lose your job, ruin your credit score. Because um, there's no more funding. We did that once. There's no more funding. So no, it's almost like a sort of a, a robotic shutdown. What do you think, other than please, everybody share this feed, share this feed, start watch groups, it's very easy. You click on the share button. It says start a watch party and you start a watch party. That's how you do it. So, and it's a much more effective way of sharing it. You'll see you get a lot of people watching it with you. Now, um, my, my point is this, is, you know, a lot of people on here have learned probably more about vaccinations uh, and about the, the, the pros and cons of vaccinations um, in the last, you know, hour or so then actually we've been on for 83 minutes my gosh that's incredible thank you yeah, so much it's questions. amazing there's some questions um what can we do what 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 can we as sovereign beings as how can we help people see through the brainwashing um is there a book of yours that they should buy is how there decline the mandatory how do you how do you how do you decline the mandatory vaccination when it comes i i think that you know what I'm going to do before I answer that is my computer, my computer's getting really low. So I'm going to take you on a little walk with me. 
<laughs> I'm going to go back over to my desk where we started because the sun is setting now. So we won't have this really big glare. And I'm going to uh, plug in my computer so I can stay on as long as you as you want me to. My computer is down to about 19%. So it's a little bit different over here. But you get a little different view of my neighborhood. This is where I spend my time. Um, so back to your question. Has everybody watched the movie V for Vendetta? Yes. Mm -hmm. Watch it again. I think I've watched it 13 times. And every single time that I have watched it over the years, every single time I see something different. I, you know, I don't have to watch the storyline anymore because I know what the story is going to be. And then you start watching the scenery behind it. And there's one scene in there. Mm -hmm. There's one scene in V for Vendetta that they talk about, it's like they're, the characters are sitting here and there's a television behind them and they're watching a, there's a news program. And it says in the, on the news program, meanwhile, there's a civil, meanwhile, a news on the civil war going on in America and you see the civil war happening. And so the only reason I mentioned that particular scene is not because I'm advocating for violence, but because I'm advocating for the fact of rewatching the movie. And every time that you watch that movie, 13 I've, I, and I and I'm not a movie person and that's what's so interesting about me watching that same movie 13 times because I just don't take I don't watch movies I haven't, I haven't watched a movie in probably four years because I just don't take the time to do it I just don't I'm busy mm -hmm. and so but V for Vendetta about they all marched together mm -hmm. they all came together what we are missing is unity yep. and, and a unity around I think there only needs to be one message no mandates we're not doing this you know, it's like, uh, you know, like the va the pro-vaccine side has one message, vaccinate, 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 vaccinate. And they goose step to it and they, you know, you can just hear it, right? Vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate. Everybody gets every vaccine. Everybody gets everything on time. There's a schedule. Follow the schedule of all these shots you're supposed to get. And we need to say no. And we need to have unity. We need to have big numbers. I mean, John, you spent time with people in Washington, D.C. You know that the, those people mm -hmm. kind of think of us as like a small little group that happens to be a fringe group that happens to be loud. Oh, yeah. We need to show them that we have we have mil billions with a B of people around the world that says, no, we're no longer going to be sheep. We're no longer going to be subject to your rules to remove my sovereignty and destroy my health, take away my home, remove my credit, destroy my credit score, take away my house, take away my children's right to an education because you think that there's a problem. Who died and made you God? Well, mm -hmm. one of the things, two things, uh, uh, to, to your point, first point is when I first went to Washington, I was shocked to find out that there are more pharmaceutical lobbyists in Washington, D.C. than there are congressmen. I think it's two to three per congressman. You're absolutely right. Wow. The second point is, is this broadcast is going to be seen by people very, very close to the president, if not the president himself. And it is most certainly going to uh, be sent to the White House uh, almost within a few minutes of us ending well, I'm I'm at his service. I'm a I'm a mega POTUS fan. Have been from the you know, I didn't I didn't not when he declared when he came down the escalator, but not too long after that, I was I you know because what I did, John, was I actually went out and listened to one of his speeches. Mm. <laughs> Imagine how novel that is, right? I mean, when he was still candidate Trump, and you were hearing all these negative little sound bites of all these different things on the news, I thought, well, I wonder what he really does say. 
So I went out to YouTube and I listened to a 40 minute speech. I go, I'm in, I'm in for that. You know, and I, and so I started listening to full speeches. <laughs> I interrupt you. His Grace, the Duke of Marlborough, uh, has just made a comment. John, this needs to go to WJ. That's Woody Johnson, who is the UK, the uh, uh, American ambassador in London and is a personal friend of His Grace. And I agree with you, personal Your Grace. He's a person. He, he's a personal friend of the president as well, because of course, the appointment uh, to be ambassador to the UK is actually the best appointment um, that you can give to your supporters. And Woody Johnson um, is, you know, actually doing a very, very good job in the UK. So His Grace looks to me like he's going to get this to the uh, US. Well, I will say, I will say this: I am at your service. I've, I said to God a long time ago, you know, this, he said, he kind of gave me this job and I said, why didn't you give me this job? Why didn't you give me like Tony Robbins, go team rah, rah. Oh, I <laughs> why, why did you give Tony, me this Tony, one? And the, the message I got back is because you were willing to do the work. And the other thing is I've been willing to stay the course. I have never varied from my message ever from when I started this almost 20, 20 years ago. It'll be 20 years in September when I started this down this path and just had more and more study. And I said to a really good friend of mine in 2002, I said, she said, what do you do with this? I mean, you're just so fired up about this and you spend all your time, every waking minute, basically on studying problems with vaccines. I said, this is a multi-generational indoctrination. It's an abomination to humanity, an abomination to God that we are injecting foreign chemicals, foreign mantle, animal dung into human beings and somehow for commerce and somehow for making them well. In my lifetime, with God's help, this will stop. We must stop this or we're not going to have any humans left. Any of you guys listening to this, if you, if you have children and you want to have grandchildren, this is the time for you to get on board and to understand that now is the time to stand up because you don't want your grand your grandchildren spitting on your grave because they can't have children saying you had an opportunity to stop this, make a difference, change the course of history, and you thought your yoga class was more important? 100%. Well, you know, it's very interesting. The other night we had uh, Dr. Shiva. Uh, we, we, we had the opportunity to interview him the other night. And he made one point that struck me to the core was that what's actually happening with big pharma is they're trying to own and control the operating system of the body of the brain yeah of the brain and and yeah. and it's very very uh sinister um well think about the root of the name right hmm. what is pharmacy pharmakia what does pharmakia mean the sorcerers pharmakia is greek for sorcerer wow it's you know it's 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 they, they say what's in a name. It's it's very very interesting to to note that. Give, give me that again because maybe some people didn't get that. That's very interesting. The pharmakia, p h a r m a k i a, pharmakia, pharmakia. I believe is Greek uh, for sorcerer. Well, you know, and it's and even in the Bible, it even mentions the pharmakia, which are the sorcerers. And isn't it interesting that that rolled into pharmacy, pharmaceutical, pharmacist? Because the root core word of that is pharmakia, which is sorcerer. Very interesting. Well, you know, you never get uh, good fruit off of a rotten tree. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. 
the roots of things, uh, the origins of things are fascinating to me. And especially living here where we do at uh, Camelot Castle, the birthplace of King Arthur. Um, to your point about V for Vendetta, it's actually very interesting. The writers of that film, of course, are the Wakowski brothers. Mm. And if you look at their whole body of work, is very, very interesting. Uh, of course, they wrote the Matrix uh, series of the trilogy, and they also wrote that uh, science fiction film, uh, Jupiter Ascending. Mm. And uh, that also is very well worth watching. The other day, we had somebody on here, and I'm not going to get into the subject with you because it's not your area of expertise, but uh, we interviewed somebody on the subject of adrenochrome. Mm. And, uh, I know about that. Mm. Well, d would you would would you be willing to speak to that, or or is that something that? Uh, anyway, we we interviewed Sasha Stone about it. Mm. And he's great. Oh, so you know Sasha? Good. Well, mm -hmm. um, he is an extraordinary fellow. But I I suddenly thought, you know, when I looked at the Jupiter Ascending film, mm. and I, I I have to say. Um, even though I don't agree with everything that the Wakowalski brothers, I don't even know how to say their name, they, they have definitely dug deep into uh, the... Darkness. D d into the darkness of man, mm. you know, and I would say that. But there we go. Um, what can we do? Unity, large numbers, get people to understand that, you know, pull the mask off. You know, like, you know, he who has ears to hear, please hear. And he who has eyes to see, see, you know, get right with your God. Get right with God of however you perceive that in whatever direction you want, however you get there. You know, clean up your physical house, clean up your body, get rid of the junk that you eat, like the white sugar, white flour stuff. Get real with God. And because we are fighting powers and principalities here. We are not just fighting human beings because they are in touch with their powers and principalities. We need to be in touch with ours because this is a spiritual battle that we're fighting now. It always has been, but we're reaching that precipice now of really dark, you know, light versus dark and good versus evil. I mean, they're trying to control human brains. They're trying to introduce artificial intelligence and making us all robotics. They're trying to make us sterile. They're trying to do the depopulation agenda. I mean, you know, the Georgia Guidestones are real places, you know, and so we, we need to really get large numbers on board with this because until we get large numbers, we're not going to be making much traffic because they've got the mainstream media. They got all the money. So the only thing, the thing that we have is voice. We have a large voice. So I, 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 you've really there just touched on one of my favorite scriptures, which is St. Paul's uh, letter to the Ephesians, where he talks about putting on the armor of God. I agree that we have to have. Uh, my, what I read my every day, what I read when I sit down at my computer every day. Would you do that? Because not everybody perhaps on here is familiar and you are a woman of God. Would oh. you read us that scripture? Because that would be... Read it. Yeah, it's the whole thing right there. Yes, I read it every day. It's 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 uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 19. I'm actually writing a book on this right now called Powers and Principalities, the Vaccine Battles. Wow. I've got about four chapters written. Wow. So let me read it because I think it's really good. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Mm. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to take a stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. That is Beautiful. my favorite, favorite, uh, you know, passage. passage. And my other favorite one is, is I think it's from Luke 14, I believe, uh, where uh, Jesus Christ says, um, each and every one of you will do the same work that I am doing. And even more. Greater and more, even greater works will you do, for I'm going to the Father. And I just wanted to acknowledge, um, Irina's got a couple more questions, but I just want to raise one, which is a little, uh, it's this is from His Grace the Duke of Marlborough at uh, Blenheim Palace. And um, he said, Why is it that man's sperm count is going down? Is this to do, is this got something to do with this? Uh, it's absolutely the aluminum. I mean, at least one of the one of the reasons. There are probably others. There may be electromagnetic frequencies. There may be, you know, EMF, five G. There may be a bunch of things. But one that we know absolutely for sure, scientifically know for sure, is aluminum. And actually, Chris Exley did that study, where he took sixty two men who gave a, a semen specimen, and he looked at the amount of aluminum in the semen specimen, and he looked at the sperm count. And the higher the aluminum levels, the lower the sperm count. And the lower for uh, uh, the um, mobility, the motility, the motility of the sperm also. So the higher the aluminum, the lower the sperm count, and the slower the motility. And we know that Gardasil vaccines have 500 micrograms per aluminum. They're now giving them to little boys. The meningitis vaccines, the meningitis B has 500 micrograms. I mean, these kids are getting loaded with aluminum from the time they're little. And what it does, what the aluminum does is it goes in and kills the, the, the cells that makes the sperm and doesn't kill the cells that make hormones. So that's why the little boys can develop normally and their voice can change and get body hair and facial hair and muscles and all of that and not know that they're infertile until they're in their 20s and, and get married and decide they want to have a family. So in my opinion, it's, the, it's, it's one more thing that the vaccines do. Another thing that the Gardasil vaccine does is it had polysorbate 80 in it, large doses, which can cause infertility in female mice. And I believe it's contributing to the primary ovarian failure in little girls. And it also has boron in it, which comes from borax. And the boron is also very toxic to the testicles. Mm. And we're vaccinating, that's the Gardasil vaccine that we're vaccinating little girls and boys for at nine and 12 years of age, because we're worried about them getting cervical cancer when they're in their thirties. Go figure. Well, it is it is uh, quite extraordinary. Darling, you had a couple more questions. No, I just had a question. Is there a future for vaccines? In other words, can they be made safe? Uh, why they can't. And why do we think we need them? Mm. 
that's the ultimate question. Mm. Why do we think that this little baby's born mm. and then God said, oh, I forgot the immune system. We yeah. must vaccinate them. Right? Mm. I mean, I saw that as a cartoon one somewhere and I thought it was really appropriate because it's really true. Why do we think we need them? Mm. Why do we, you know, in this day and age, I mean, we, we're not dropping babies out, you know, in the dirt anywhere anymore. Why is it that when we have hygiene, why is it that when most babies are born in hospitals or at least under sterile conditions or in home births that are really pretty nice? And why do we think we need them? Why do we even have a discussion about making something safer? Mm. I think we need to have a discussion about why we need to eliminate them. No, I agree. But I'm just curious, why are they so toxic? Is it because you have because you have to grow the viruses in living tissue and the living tissue that they have to be grown in is contaminated with other viruses and bacteria. And so that way you have to put in chemicals to neutralize the the virus or you're just going to inject a live virus into your body and you need to kill off all the other slurry stuff that the virus is grown in. And this, or the bacteria is grown in. So you need antibiotics in there. You need neutralizing chemicals. You need formaldehyde. You need things that are going to be a, a, a stabilizer as it sits, sits on the shelf for shelf life. You have to shelf life stabilize it if you're sending it into the sub-Saharan region where it's going to be really hot and they don't have ice cubes to keep it cold. I mean, there's lots of reasons why the chemicals are there. Right. You can't, you know, we've been through this whole thing on, you know, Jenny McCarthy, green our vaccines. And we've been through the whole mercury moms issue. It's only just about the mercury. And when they did all that mercury stuff, I literally felt like I was the lone ranger standing way over here all by myself, just screaming. It's not just the mercury, <laughs> you know, for years, because everybody thought, sure, if they just took the mercury out, everything would be just fine. But then they loaded everything up with aluminum. So I, I just think we need to talk about what do we need to do to stay healthy and be healthy instead? Mm. I mean, you know, there's a guy, his name's Peter Abbey, mm. who did these studies in Africa. And he actually, he said, nobody's ever done this before, that we go in and we do like a DPT vaccine. And we think that we have protected these kids from DPT, but have we done anything else? Mm. So they went in and did this fairly sizable study. I think it was in Ghana. And they, they looked at all the kids that had been vaccinated with a DPT vaccine. And they found that those children who had been vaccinated were five times more likely to die of an other type of infection than the kids who had not been vaccinated with a DPT vaccine. Mm -hmm. Five times more likely to die of either some other vaccine preventable pathogen or some other pathogen that was endemic in their area that they normally would have just fended off and fought off and had like a like a like a infection and recover from it they were the kids who were vaccinated were five times more likely to die than the kids who were not vaccinated i mean so there's the science is out there in fact i have a, a collection of more than 11,000 articles that i've hired an invest a, a, a somebody who works for me she works for me uh, 20 hours a week goes through all the peer-reviewed literature, and we have hand-selected out more than 11,000 articles from only peer-reviewed literature showing problems associated with vaccines. 11,000 articles. These are not one-off onesies, twosies. There are thousands of articles that doctors are ignoring, scientists are ignoring, the government would, would, uh, would prefer that didn't exist, that, that are out there showing this. And my, my husband, God rest his soul, um, was, a, was a pilot in the Navy. And he said before they would fly any of the planes, they'd do the final rock around and there was this expression in the Navy that mm. they said if there was any doubt, there was no doubt. Mm. Meaning if there was any doubt, there was something wrong with the plane, there was no doubt, we're not flying. Mm. 
Well, if there's any doubt that these vaccines are causing asthma, allergies, eczema, ADD, insulin-dependent diabetes, cancer, autoimmune disorders, neurological problems, and on and on and on, we should have a complete moratorium of this nonsense until they think they can come up with something that's not going to cause those problems. 100%. And if we get a little bitty of an uptick of measles, we might get like 20 more cases. Oh, well, public health needs to be more than high vaccination rates and a low infection rate of a very short list of pathogens, 17 of them to be exact. Hmm. Look at how sick our kids are. We've got the sickest kids ever, and we've got the highest vaccination rate ever. And now we want to mandate all these vaccines. So parents can't even pick and choose or can't even refuse. And this whole issue of informed consent, I think informed consent is a concept of the 90s. It's something that we need to stop talking about because you can be as informed about vaccines as I am and done as many years of research as I have. But if I don't have a right to refuse, I'm fully informed. I don't want to consent. If I don't have a right to confuse, informed consent is irrelevant. Mm. We must, must, must retain our right to refuse. It's a violation of the Nuremberg Codes. It's a violation of the Declaration of Helsinki. It's a, a violation of the International Medical, uh, Medical Association Codes. That This is human experimentation. Every single vaccine is a human because we are all individuals. And what's coming through that vaccine is not standardized. And so every single vaccine that is ever given to any human on this planet is an experiment. And if it's an experiment, then therefore people must have a right to refuse. Must. Brilliant. That, Dr. Sherry, is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant message. And I, I think one of the things that maybe we can work together, and it's a way that I've been helping uh, the Trump movement, is helping with the honing down so that the messages can be understood because listen you have got eleven thousand articles that is by the way can i just validate you that is the most extraordinary the, the research that you have done into this subject you, you have to be motivated by god because mm. nobody would do it for any other reason <laughs> and, and, and think about this i don't have any kids i don't have children wow. so i don't have a horse in the game Wow. I don't do this because I need to protect my family. I don't even have one single vaccine injured person in my entire family, cousins or anybody, because none of us are vaccinated. We all grew up in a chiropractic family. We grew up on vitamins. So wow. none of us were vaccinated. So I don't have a horse in the parade. I'm not doing this because I've got a whole room full of kids that I got to protect. I'm doing this because this is about God's house. You what you do unto those children, you do unto him. And so if, if you feed them and clothe them and take care of them, yes, God says, thank you for the glory. But if you poison them, if you inject them with things, if you make them sick, you're also doing that unto him. I, I, I you know, amen to that. And, and, and that is absolutely correct. Now, I've got two other questions. Somebody's been asking very patiently on yes, here. That's my question um, too. What is the vitamin K the injection, injection when the baby's born? When the baby's born, the vitamin K injection. Um, let, is that, that's the first one. 
Well, it's a it's a it's it's one of those mythical things that they decided that children needed to have off of like three kids that were born with subdural hematomas. It's it's it goes back to the 1950s, and all the research was actually done in the UK. Mm-hmm. You know, it was actually done in the UK about why they decided this, and um, we offer a whole course on that a whole course, which is more than I can give credit to here in this length of time. If you go to vaccineu, vaccinetheletteru.com, we offer individual courses. They're 30 to 40 minute modules on each one of the vaccines. They're $39. You have lifetime access to the material. We have supporting documentation of all PDF files, anywhere from four to 20 PDF files from peer reviewed literature to back them up. And there's a whole course on vitamin K. And I I think it's our bestseller. It's vitamin K. And the other one that's really good that people want to know a lot about is Rogam, that if you're RH negative, they really want to get some background on Rogam. But there's courses there on pertussis and influenza and Gardasil. And, you know, I said I thought that I was going to get the entire litany of vaccines built out by the end of this year. But this little pandemic thing has kind of taken up my time. (laughs) So I don't know that I'm going to get it completely done. It will be done eventually. I just don't know if I'll get it done by the end of the year. But there's things in there about about a lot of the more common vaccines, about tetanus, about pertussis. There's a whole course, a two module course on vaccines and pregnancy that people need to look at. So you can get the, go to access, it's vaccine, the letter U.com. And up at the top, there's a course catalog and you can and you can see all the courses that are offered there. Wow, that is extraordinary. Darling, did you have another yes, question? Yes, people want to know how they can support you. Do you have a Facebook page or group? Or- I do. If you, uh, you, you can follow me on Twitter, mm-hmm. which is Busy Dr. T, Busy D-R-T. Busy Dr. T is on Twitter. Please follow us on, social, on, on Instagram, which is just Dr. Tenpenny, D-R-T. Tenpenny, T-E-N-P-E-N-N-Y. You can see my name up there, Dr. Tenpenny. It's amazing how many people want to misspell my name. Mm-hmm. It's so simple. <laughs> and so, you know, and so Instagram, busy, you know, is Dr. Tenpenny. Uh, Twitter is busy Dr. T. Our Facebook page is is uh, uh, Dr. Tenpenny on vaccines. Um, and if you if you follow us on Vaxter, if you please, please, please sign up for our email list, because our email list is how we send out notifications about things we sell, like our courses, you know, in this book, in the book that I'm getting ready to write. And so that really helps. And there's a donation button on that page if you if you want to donate to us, because I've got employees that help me do all of these things. And so that helps me keep people employed and and helps us to be able to spread the word. And, and one other thing I'm going to say is I really appreciate people's prayers. I mean, a lot. I pray, you know, for stamina, for focus, for protection. I mean, we're, you know, we're kind of hanging around on the higher echelons with not nice people. And so, you know, prayers for protection are always really well received. Well, I can absolutely assure you one of the things that we do on this little spiritual broadcast, we've got all sorts of people on this broadcast and we welcome all religions, you know, uh, we will most certainly be praying for you tonight and on other evenings. I want to answer this question right here about boron. Boron is is beneficial when it's in its natural form, when it comes in through your mouth, like you, you eat it like as a plant or things like that, and it gets absorbed in its natural form. When it is injected in combination with polysorbate 80 and aluminum, it's toxic. Yeah. So I just wanted to, to answer that question I saw coming up because it's really quite good. And she's right. She's actually right that, that that is something that's really important to say. That's marvelous. Are there more questions? This is fun. Well, <laughs> I'm really willing to take as many questions, questions as people because, have. Um, uh, this is, this is um, 
let's just see if anybody has any questions. His Grace, the Duke of Marlborough, wants to know, you seem to be very busy, Doctor. You, you're, you're having a busy time at the moment. I am busy, but that's kind of my middle name. It's nothing new. I mean, my you know, when my husband was alive and we used to travel a lot, I mean, a lot. I mean, I've been blessed in my life to have been in, in um, 62 countries. Well, and so it's and so he used to always say, Sherry never goes on vacation. She just goes to work in nice places. <laughs> and it's really quite true. You know, the inbox never stops. I like what I'm doing. And I'm really right now very, very dedicated to anybody who wants me as much as I can. Radio, podcasts, um, other types of ventures to get this this information into a hand. Like what you said, John, get it into hands of people that can do something about it. Mm. That really, they're they're just being told the propaganda pharmaceutical stuff. They don't even know that another side of this exists. Mm. Mm. And I didn't mean to cut your communication on the adrenochrome subject. I'm quite curious. I don't know what the truth of it is, but it does just seem to be coming up. Is there any communication that you wanted to make on that, or is that? I just think it's all part of what's what's dark to light. All what's going to be coming out. I mean, I think that what we have done to children on this planet in the name of serving Baal and what we've done is just horrific. It's good versus evil. Mm -hmm. And um, it can't get any more evil than pedophilia and human trafficking, you know, and child abuse. It really can't. It just, it, it amazed me, um, uh, you know, it, it amazed me the fact of so many children going missing every year in America, and it just doesn't make any sense. And then when we spoke to Sasha the other day, and he spoke to that, and it was it was really interesting. Have you run into Candace Owens and Charlie Kirk at all? Have you? Have you uh, oh, I have been wanting to run into them. I was really wanting to connect with Charlie about getting this information out to college age kids. They really need to know this because they're getting hammered with meningitis vaccines and Gardasil and, and they have to understand, you know, they're soon at the age where they're going to be wanting to get married and have a family. I mean, now is the time to be investigating vaccines, not when you're in labor. <laughs> you know, you need to be having this discussion and talking about this. And one of the things I say, I've said a lot on, on radio is I've said, you know, if you're in a really serious relationship, you say you're 20 somethings or 30 somethings and you're in a really serious relationship with somebody. I'm assuming you've talked about things like jobs and politics and sports and God and religion and, and things like that. Put the vaccine issue on the table. I have testified in far too many divorce cases. In fact, I don't do court work anymore. It was just, it just like sucked the life out of me, but far too many court cases that, you know, they got married and they had never talked about vaccinating. And one person made the assumption that, well, of course we're going to vaccinate. And the other one was like, of course, we're not going to vaccinate. And then that child becomes a football in that, you know, their immune system becomes a football. Put the vaccine thing on the table and know where that person stands because it's a, it's a contentious issue. And you really need to have that as part of your premarital planning. And I would love to talk to Charlie about talking to college age kids about this. And I would love to get Candace Owens and I would love to get the movie vaxxed into her hands and get her to understand what the CDC is doing to black boys. 
that black boys have a five times increased risk of developing autism from the MMR vaccine, and they've known it for decades and they've buried it. I would love to see the black mega movement. The black mega movement is so on fire for Trump right now. I would love for them to get their hands around this information and say, no, we are not going to be branded with a, with a vaccine and a vaccine um, little chip underneath our hands. To go along with them, we're not doing it. So I would love to be in contact with those people. In fact, I've been putting that out there in my prayers for a long time. Well, we can do a little bit more than that because we actually introduced Candace to her husband. Uh, oh, wow. how cool is that? I how know. How cool is that? And, uh, we helped introduce Turning Point into the UK and His Grace the Duke of Marlborough and Charlie are very good friends. And we all basically, well, we saw what was going on in the United States and I said to Charlie, <laughs> I was introduced to Charlie by somebody who had seen what we'd done to help and, you know, support the president. And um, the actual story of it is very interesting because uh, my friend said, well, you have to uh, meet Charlie Kirk. And uh, because he, he looks at things sort of in the way that you look at them. And so he introduced us. And of course it was, it was extraordinary and I just kept sending, I said, Charlie, if you think you've got a problem with cultural Marxism in the schools in America, we literally, we've got a far, far worse, we're fighting a rear guard action here. We're fighting a rear guard action. So it's really, really interesting. And he came over here and we were supposed to have a little dinner party for five or six people. And then I called up his grace, the Duke of Marlborough, who said, well, I'll, I'll help with that. And uh, then a few other people came on board and it was really, really uh, exciting. We had over over 250 people turned up for this. Wow! <laughs> over a little, a little night of dinner. I, know, I, know. <laughs> I will definitely be speaking to Charlie probably tonight and tomorrow. I'm, 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 we've got a big sort of powwow tomorrow with our friends in DC, and it's going to be very, very interesting. Um, Candace has already started tweeting about the vaccination problem. If you look at her Twitter feed over the last week. She actually already uh, tweeted about the experiments that were done uh, by Gates in uh, Africa. And so she has a very, very strong purpose yes, with she that. Yes, she does. She does. And I noticed that in her Twitter feed. And actually, well, she needs to be in touch with me. I need to be whispering in her ear and giving her the giving her this information and saving her learning curve a huge amount of time. Well, I think that's the thing, because I think if you can, you know, I know how it is with the subjects that I understand. Uh, you you can actually save somebody a lot of um, Alfie Best, who's another friend of ours, who uh, actually did come here in his helicopter and the weather wasn't quite right. And the pilot said, um, if it's not right, we if there's any risk at all, we're not going to fly. Mm. So to use your analogy, and Alfie said, um, you don't want to pay the idiot tax. Um, you know, when you get into a new business, uh, everybody likes to get into something new, but you don't want to pay the idiot tax. And, and, and you've already paid the idiot tax for all the research you've done, you know, you can save somebody else a lot of time and energy and you can just sort of guide them very well. And, um, I, you know, we, we're used to um, fighting for things that people try to sideline and mm. so on and so forth. And the interesting thing about this group here, probably everybody on here um, has... Uh, his grace has actually just also said the Duke of Marlborough has said, then we'll go to Mar-a-Lago. He, mm -hmm. he, 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 he's going to speak to 
uh, because it, His Grace actually takes an annual holiday with the president generally uh, at Mar-a-Lago. So, and, and, and that would be a very good idea. Very, very good idea. I think you'll probably find that Melania uh, Trump is very, very, uh, she certainly. She's very aware. She's very aware of health. Very, very aware. That's what I've been wondering. It's like, why isn't, because I know people, I have really close friends in Slovenia who know Melania's family. Mm, mm, and they've and um so i've said for i said well maybe this is the way to kind of get this information to to the president is through melania because you know he's made some comments underneath his breath a few times you yeah. know off there was he felt like on a hot mic you know you think i'm against vaccines you should talk to melania you know and stuff and so i i and she's all about health and nutrition and you know because she was an athlete and you know and, and a model and so she knows all of those things to you know to have that in her life and so um i think that and and the people that i know from slovenia that know her family they say yeah you know she's really all about those things mm -hmm. so i think that there's i mean we, we john we've got to if we don't stop this now we're not going to have another generation of humans. Well, I think I, th I think you are absolutely right. And I think that's why and Turning Point can be, you know, such an interesting uh, organization. Obviously, it's Charlie's organization. I can't speak for him. We have to ask something because yes, this sorry. question keeps coming up. How do we decline mandatory vaccination or any vaccination? Do you have a document on it? Maybe they could look it up. Or is that well, in the it's it's really hard. I mean, that's why, you know, I felt like I use this example sometimes that I feel like, you know, I've been doing this for almost 20 years and I feel like I've been Noah. I've been saying for 20 years, it's going to rain. I'm telling you it's going to rain. Really? Listen, listen to me. Seriously, it's going to rain. Come on, you know, get it, you know, to get it, get on the, get it, get ready to get on the boat. It's going to rain for 20 years. And now it's finally raining. Mm. And I've been talking about these. I bought the URL coalition against mandatory vaccination in 2002 that's how long i've known that this was coming and trying to get people awake and alert to saying we've got to band together you know the separation between me and my government must be at the level of my skin mm. you know and so i've been trying and nobody's like yeah whatever it's not going to happen they'll never take it that far sherry i mean like seriously they will never go that far well, we've had well, we've had ministers here already talking about it mm. No, no, but my point is, is that I've been talking about it since 2002. No, you, been but there's yes. ministers here already talking about uh, over this coronavirus, possibly doing mandatory vaccines. So what you're really saying, and just so everybody here understands, if it becomes mandatory in the law of your country, you can't say no, basically. if, if it's unless, unless they start taking away services. You know, like like uh, you won't be able to, like in Argentina for the last three years, you couldn't um, uh, renew your driver's license or a passport unless you had a completed vaccination record. That, that was in Argentina. They now have mandatory adult vaccination in Amsterdam. They're talking about doing the same thing in Belgium. They have, um, you know, so that my point about saying that is that I've been trying to get people to stand up against mandates since 2002. And so now when people come to me and say, what can I do now? I don't know. I guess this is our last hurrah. And that's why I say we've got to take it to the spiritual level because we've pretty much lost it on the physical level unless we get massive amounts of numbers. 
massive amounts of numbers, or we get somebody like the president of the United States who is like Teflon and how that man stands up every day and takes those shots is just to me, whether you like his policies or not, you have to admire his strength. You well, know? I, I don't think there's anybody that could have done the job that he's done. I don't think that there is anybody that would, would be so, uh, extraordinary, really. I don't think, I don't think there's anybody that, uh, could could take the shots and we certainly pray for him every day and of course this is exactly uh, his grace the duke of marlborough actually said this to me right now this is our last chance and mm. you know we've got to take it to the spiritual realm which is why i do sincerely believe that everybody in this group you know the common denominator of people in this group is is they are great freedom fighters and i want to thank everybody here for coming this evening so um was there another question that you had there, Donning? Oh, there's so many good questions, but I'm just... Uh, somebody, yeah, how would you get the aluminium out of your body? How, how, what is well, the there are there are some things that that, that we know that because because aluminum is a light metal, it's not a heavy metal, it's a light metal, and there have been some people that have said that, and, and even Chris Ruck, uh, Chris uh, actually kind of went along with this. One thing that you can use to get aluminum out is uh, silica. I mean, there's silica tablets that you can take, and Fiji water is loaded with silica. So there have been some kind of anecdotal reports about that if you drank like a bottle of, you know, Fiji water every day, or you had got one of those big five-gallon things and drank out of there, that the silica in the Fiji water tends to chelate aluminum. Mm. I've heard some rumors about zeolite. I, I don't know enough about zeolite to really say yay or nay about it. So I'm kind of neutral, but that is one thing that I, is supposed to chelate light metals like uh, like aluminum out. So um, so there are there are various things that at least that you can try. Silica tablets, you can get those. Well, I don't know about in Europe, but in, in the United States, you can generally get that at health food stores. Mm. Very good. Very good. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. You know, one of the things I want to, I've been watching some of these comments coming up over here, because a couple of things have been like, do you know Del Bigtree? Do you know Bobby Kennedy? It's like, we are in a very small club of those of us that's, there's, there's maybe 50 of us in the U.S. I don't know. And there's more probably around the world, but there's, there's maybe 50 of us out of 330 million people who are professionals, lawyers, doctors, therapists, you know, and, and just strong held them freedom fighters. There may be about 50 of us and we all know each other. It's still, it's amazing to me after all these years I've done this, when people will say things to me like, do you know Barbara Lowe Fisher? <laughs> I mean, yes, I do. I mean, Barbara, you know, you know what I mean? But I just want people to know there's a unit that all of us know each other. All of us work together. All of us have different silos of ways that we do things in different approaches and we have different styles. But the commonality is, is that we all think vaccines are bad. And if we all feel like there needs to be a moratorium on all of this stuff, so we stop hurting people and stop damaging the next generation of children. Sharon Lonstein, who is one of the biggest philanthropists, she and her husband, Tony Lonstein, are among some of the biggest philanthropists in Southern California. Um, she's just asked a question, what can we do to stop it being made mandatory? Yeah. Well, we, we, it's, it's political at this point, it's political and we, we need to have, um, numbers 
We need to have we need to have our own lobbyists. We need to have somebody who supports financially supports what we do. I mean, like we've said for a long time is like, you know, what we activists have done with boots on the ground with basically pennies and nickels of being able to survive this, to move forward, to do this work, to do it on backs of well-meaning volunteers. I mean, my business partner and I, we have a, a decent business through Courses for Mastery that we sell our boot camp, we sell Vaccine U courses, I'm writing books, Matt's putting together courses, we got seven new courses that are coming out tomorrow. That So people can buy our products and that helps, to, helps us to survive but we're not, you know, we're not like millionaire status. And what I have said for a very long period of time, what we couldn't do with like a million dollars. I mean, what we've done with like nothing on air has been pretty amazing. What we couldn't do if we had a, a really solid financial supporter behind us to get our message out at a larger scale to get those numbers that we really need. And so, you know, finances is always an important thing. We talk, and, we, and we always talk about money like it's dirty or like we shouldn't talk about it or something. Well, they can spend $1.3 trillion to kill us, you know, the pharmaceutical industry. But if we want to ask for like 50 buck donation, there's something wrong with us. We're like not doing it for the cause or something. And somehow we need to change that paradigm. Well, one of the things that we have helped to do is raise a lot of money for nonprofits and we a have a nonprofit, and there's a number of people on here. Do you have a vehicle set up for that? Do you have the correct vehicle set up for that? Uh, there's somebody on here, Sharon Lonstein, who I know is very interested in this area. Um, maybe you could hook up together, Sharon, um, because I I agree. I think I think I think a proper group needs to be founded, and it needs to be organized. You know, the problem is is that the enemy is very organized. You know, these That's exactly right. And how many wars do you know that have been run by, you know, have been won by a Keystone Cop approach? No. And just by doing uh, doing guerrilla warfare that everybody likes randomly picks up a gun and fires, right? I mean, have well, there been any uh, war in history that have done that? Now, do we need guerrilla fighters? Yes. But do we need something stronger in order to, I don't know, we're at the end, John. I am always looking for great strategists to try to figure, uh, to do strategy well, with. I really that am. That, that I think that we may be able to help you with is structuring. Sharon Lonstein is very together with that. There's another guy, I don't know if he's on the feed, but I'm an ascendant in this called Louis Cologne, oh, yeah. um, who may be able to help you because when you've got a purpose that is this strong and that is this survival for life, when it is serving life to this degree, money is not a problem. The reason money isn't flowing is purely because the group that, um, you know, you, 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 you may be brilliant at research in the subject, but what you may not be good at is putting the group together to sort of arrange the funding. And this is one of the ways that obviously we've been able to help our friends in DC. And in the last 12 months, we have raised tens and tens of millions for uh, conservative and truth causes in the United wow. States. And wow. um, definitely, I mean, there's no promise. She's Virginia Piera, she has raised millions for, for charities. She will help. Sharon, uh, Sharon, she Sharon, Sharon uh, said, thank you. Definitely interested in helping. Um, she and her husband, Tony Lonstein, are themselves in their own right, some of the most generous philanthropists in America. Um, but... Uh, they also um, are incredibly dynamic. Um, th so this is positive. This is, you see, this is what I like. People that actually so see something and do something. Because, you know, when I was introduced to Charlie 
uh, Kirk, I was like, okay, but what are we going to do? I mean, and these, these things, people, you can't be shy about money. Money is just stored energy. And by the way, we're up against not millions, billions. Trillions. We're up against. Trillions, trillions we're up against. And we're up against basically, if it's not the devil incarnate, um, it, it, it would suffice. You know, if you were looking for the devil incarnate and you found this, you know, one would easily substitute the other. So, um, that's another nice comment. Another who's who's John that? John Lomenzo. Lon, John Lomenzo. I am. What's he saying? I'm a semi-retired non-profit accountant willing to assist Sherry. Oh, so, uh, that would be awesome. So, um, you know, the, the bottom line is, you know, every bullet counts. Every bullet oh, counts. And what we absolutely can is we can use the 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 capacity of Camelot Castle, which is a a known icon, to attract attention. His Grace the Duke of Marlborough has put his head above the parapets of his palace, Blenheim Palace, which is the most beautiful palace in all of England. Mm. And it may interest you to know that the first Duke of Marlborough, John Churchill, uh, who I'm currently uh, looking to research over the next few weeks, very, very interesting. He was given Blenheim as a gift by Queen Anne for his wow. expertise in battle. Mm. And but ah. Duke, we would all be speaking French or German or one of the two. I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, French, I think it was. And the fact of the matter is, you know, those, that the Battle of Blenheim was not run through what was not won through disorganization. You know, organization is actually a good word. And what happens is, is what you'll find is when you decide to get organized, and this is a great lesson, perhaps for all of our viewers tonight. When you start to bring order, the first thing that you notice is that people attack you for being organized. They say, oh, you can't be organized. Just let things happen. Uh, what do they say? Organic. Organically. Organically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Trust me. Businesses never grow organically. Exactly. <laughs> nor do nonprofits. Right. And nor do governments. OK. Uh, things dissolve organically you know if you leave an old rake in the garden it'll turn into uh soil eventually so this organic growth idea no you have to exercise what we call good control you have to be able to start change stop you have to charge change change stop things and um there are a couple of introductions that i will definitely make to you that may help you they may not help you you know um but there is no question at all. So Sharon said that we should have an anti-vaccination summit and plan a battle together. Sharon Lonstein says mm -hmm. we should have an anti-vaccination summit and plan how to do it together. That is a great idea. And Sharon would probably be one of the best people to organize that. Also, few people here have asked. Uh, they offered some donations. And where would people go if they want to donate to your... Well, if you, if you want to donate small donations, if you go to Vaxter.com, there's a, a button on there where you can donate. Um, we have a, a 501c3 nonprofit. And so if people want to donate a larger amount for a tax deductible contribution, we draw the line on that. It's starting at $1,000 just because we don't have the human power to track those, you know, a bunch of little donations. So if somebody wants to donate $1,000 or more, contact me directly. And then you can, set, you can um, you know, email it. You can send a check, do a direct deposit. And then we give you a, a letter for your charitable donation. So it's a tax deductible contribution to us. Right. But so if you want to, if, if, so yeah, so um, do you want me to give, you know, you can do, um, 
Um, let me see. Well, I'm just saying that the email address, if you go to uh, Dr. Sherry, D-R-S-H-E-R-R-I, Dr. Sherry at coursesformastery.com, courses, the number four, mastery.com, that'll get directly to me. So D-R-S-H-E-R-R-I at courses, plural, the number four, mastery.com. So... Okay. So smaller donations, we're grateful to have, and I can't thank every single person, but we've had a lot. And, um, and so, but we don't have the human power to small donors, track those little ones. Yeah, yeah. Small donors are very important in a group because it builds, yes. it builds you supporters and small donors, Absolutely. donors, small donors turn into big donors. Um, Virginia Pierre is saying Sharon Lonstein, uh, I'll work with you. So they, they're both in LA. So, um, and Virginia knows a lot of people within the um, LA spiritual community, within the Jewish community in LA. Um, very, very nice uh, family. I've known them for a long time. Sharon is formidable, formidable, mm. formidable uh, young lady. And her husband is as well. So, um, is ma mastery is it Y or I? On the end, mastery. mastery is with a Y, isn't it? With a Y, mastery with a Y. Yeah, we should have maybe Sharon. Maybe we can have an offline conversation about the summit because a lot of those have kind of circled around, and so you should probably know the history of that. And knowing the history of that and in various things would help to plan the future better. Well, I think this is the point: is is that what you really have in relation is actually an administrative problem. There's no problem with the purpose. And I think also making sure everybody is singing from the same songbook, which I think is no mandate. Yes. That's what you said, isn't it? Have it I is. No. It's, 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 the, it's, a, it's the idea of our time. Because in that way, you don't get into, like, like for me, my ultimate goal is to like get rid of all of it. Because I think it's all pure evil, all of it. But it takes people a while to get to that place. I, and I've been doing this a long time. No, and mean, so if you, if you at least get to the place where people should have a right to refuse and have a choice and we should have no mandates, then you can move people along later to get them to understand why you don't want to have any vaccines at all. And that's what I've been doing for a long time. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a leap to go from pro-vaccine to anti-vaccine in like one conversation. I, yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. And my thing is people should be free to do whatever they want to do. I mean, we've got some very tall cliffs here in Tintangel and people like to come down here and leap off of them. I don't think they have a problem with it. But, you know, other than it's 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 annoying for the people that have to scoop up the, the mess. You know, it is annoying for them, but it's their freedom. That's their freedom. So if somebody wants to have flu shots and this shot and that shot and the other shot, but I think it's something, I think a message that everybody can agree with is that mandatory is uh, not fair. Mm, mm. And even people that are pro-vaccination, I think they can agree with that. Yeah. It's you know, it's so interesting, John, that you say that because I so agree with you. And it actually, remember when I said a little bit ago that I bought the URL, Coalition Against, Against Mandatory Vaccination. I bought that. I wanted to form an organization in 2002 because I sat around for a really long time and thought, what is a concept that I think everybody could get behind, whether they were pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine, somewhere in the middle, they wanted to pick and choose their vaccines. And I thought that truly people could get behind the fact that um, mandates, nobody should be forced to do something against their will. 
Uh, and, and, and I think that maybe now is an idea which time has come because it's kind of the human nature that it's like in America, you know, we have tornado warnings, right? It comes across your television and people don't go to the basement and heed the warning until the trees are falling down in their backyard, right? So it's sort of like human nature until it's like right here, you don't take action. And I think that maybe this, you know, Millions Against Medical Mandates, which is a, a small little group I belong to, or Coalition Against Medical Mandates, or whatever that language turns out to be, it's an idea that's time who's come. We must stop, at least at that. Well, I, I really like this question from Greg, because this is what's been, I've been asked. Is Robert Kennedy doing good or bad? Well, it kind of depends on who you ask. I mean, I think there, and I, I, I don't know that I would say bad. Mm -hmm. I would say, is, is he doing good at, or is he being effective? Right. You know, I don't, cause I don't think he's doing anything bad, but I think the good that he's doing is he's, he's using his name and his bully pulpit and he's saying a lot of good things and he's bringing a lot of the science out in a really good way. And people respect him and they're willing to listen to him. And a lot of people are willing to hear what he has to say that may not have, have not have listened to anyone else. Right. So is that good? Is he being effective? I think that that, that, that uh, vote is still kind of out. I mean, I haven't seen any six big wins in the vaccine arena in terms of lawsuits hmm. or in terms of um, stopping, you know, these some of these actions that they've had. I haven't seen any wins there. But I, I, I say with a caveat yet, because those, you know, we've heard that there's this big um, several big lawsuits that are in the making. And some things that have happened, I think he and Del Bigtree did some good things with ICANN with some of the things that they've done against the CDC. So those are some wins that, that take a long time and are not easy to do. So I would say Bobby's done some good things. Has he been effective? Uh, not, not, I don't know, not yet good. in terms of big wins. Would I say he's doing anything bad? I don't think there's a, a polarity there. I don't think he's doing anything bad. I just wonder if he's not as effective as what we all hoped he would be. I think that's what Greg meant. Is he effective? And there's another very, very persistent question about 5G and would it, how would it interact with the vaccines and, and the chemicals and the vaccines and, and your opinion. And the COVID and, 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 and is there any yes. relationship or whatever? I, I think there's absolutely a relationship because if you lay the highest concentration of COVID, which is the illness, over top or alongside of a 5G tower map, I mean, they, you, you really can't like deny that there's some sort of a connection there. The connection that we don't know yet, and I have a really good friend that lives in Switzerland that he's always my go-to guy about 5G because he knows more about it and actually ran for public office in Switzerland on the, a platform against 5G. The Swiss, as his grace uh, knows, were one of the first countries to actually ban 5G until they work out the health. Uh, they, they, they're, they're not deploying until a health study has been done. Well, they're they're fighting it. There's certain what do they call them? Cannons. There's certain cannons that don't have five G, but there's some. That, but there's some that do. What? Cantons. 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 Sorry, <laughs> cantons. It's a, like the the American way of saying it, right? But I. But the thing that we don't know exactly yet in terms of COVID is does the five G weaken the immune system to, in a in a population that's already immunocompromised? They're already on polypharmacy. They're obese. They got hypertension. They got heart disease. Does the five G weaken their immune system so that the virus is more virulent? Mm -hmm. Does the or and or doesn't have to be or and or does the interaction between five G and the virus sometimes how virate? Because if you know you know. Um, 
it, uh, that viruses can vibrate at a certain level. So it, it, does the virus vibrate at a certain level with 5G that makes it more virulent? Mm. Or does the 5G break up the heme hemoglobin inside of the red blood cells and release the iron because it's a metal? So does the 5G do something to that that makes the free-floating metal that floats around that makes the COVID in terms of the, the liver toxicity and the kidney toxicity? And that's another whole long discussion that I've mapped that all out. And if I get with any kind of luck, I'll have that article written up sometime this week. And so does, does 5G come into play? In my opinion, absolutely. How it comes into, into play, I think that, I think that the, the, it's still a little bit out. You know, we don't really know, just like we don't really know all the elements of this virus yet, because it keeps morphing, it keeps changing. So it's like we're trying to figure it out in real time. So does it, is there a connection? In my opinion, yes. Do I understand the specific question? Does anybody? I don't know quite yet, but I think we will. I think we will. Well, you know, um, it, it, I just want to go back to your point about getting the messaging absolutely correct, because there was a very, you may recall that there's this other, well, I'm sure you're aware, there's this whole, has been this whole climate change uh, thing going on. And some people say climate change is man-made. Some people say climate change is not man-made. And Irina and myself, and the, His Grace the Duke of Marlborough and Ted, of course, have been discussing, uh, you know, what could everybody agree on? And, and, and we came up with this thing of, well, could we all agree that if we plant one tree in the right place at the right time, indigenous species, that's something that everybody could agree is a good thing to do. And once you've done one tree, you can do another one. And that simple idea, we started talking about it, I think it was in 2016, in fact, it was 2016. And then at Davos, the president finally announces the one trillion tree reforestation program, which was entirely based on, on us communicating about trees. And of course, if you recall, it was in the State of the Union as well. So that was the common denominator. And that doesn't really get into whether or not climate changes, doesn't change. Uh, surely trees are good for the air and they're good for the, and it, If you agree the carbon is a problem, well, then that would take the carbon back to 1700s and it would take the air quality back to the end of the Industrial Revolution. So um, that's a 20, we have achieved an agreement from the White House, it is now official White House policy that the planet is going to have 25% more trees. And this is what one can achieve. And we didn't have a big budget on that. In fact, uh, we had a pizza up at Blenheim Palace and we put it all together over pizza. And we just kept communicating and pestering people and tweeting mm. and texting. And probably I bored people to death on it, but you know, um, at the end of the day, the planet will now have 25% more trees. And, and that's something that, you know, and what was quite hilarious, of course, is as soon as the president announced this, uh, Greta Thunberg comes out and says, well, it's not just about trees. And, it, you know, they were, they were, the, the left was livid, livid that the solution had been delivered. Absolutely hopping mad. So uh, his grace says, yes, it's the lungs of the world. Well, you know, That's just what I was going to say. It's like putting putting more lungs in the world. That was the exact words I was going to use. So uh, no sooner did we get the lungs of the world created, and then of course there was an attack on our lungs. So oh, it's yeah. quite interesting, really. Right. If you look at it from the um, 
St. Paul viewpoint. The evil. The evil. Mm. It, mm. it was sort of interesting. Once, once the president had announced the solution to the whole green lobby that was going to be pitted against him, and he had a solution for that, all of a sudden this other vector came in. Mm. And it, it was really, the timing was, all, I mean, also as soon as he got over the, 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 the impeachment trial, literally within a few hours this whole other button got pushed. And I said tonight we were going to talk about uh, how societies are uh, brainwashed and um, hypnotized. But we're going to have to leave that for another evening, I think. So those of you that tuned in fantastic. for the hypnosis education, <laughs> you know, I mean, um, to me, this is just extraordinary. Um, His Grace has said, you are an extraordinary lady. And um, it is it is just fantastic uh, to have you here. Um, I just want to say one thing to you, Um you know, you've done this work now for how many years? 20 years? Almost, almost 20. It'll be 20 in September. So almost 20 years. And that you have already helped thousands and thousands mm, of people. Children. But there are people out there who you have helped. They don't even know that you're the one that's helped them because education is a funny thing. It just sort of filters through. We have a sculpture here called the Ripples of Peace, which is the whole idea is you drop a stone in a pond and a ripple goes out from that and you get this sort of emanation occurring and on behalf of His Grace the Duke of Marlborough, my wife, myself, Ted, and all of the people that are watching here, and all of the people out there who I'm sure if they knew what you had done would love to say thank you. Mm. I just want to acknowledge what you have done. Oh, thank you. And, 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 and what you are going to do. Mm. What you are going to do. Because something tells me that your star is about to go ballistic. Mm. Something tells me that you've just been preparing. Mm. You've just been preparing, and sure you've worked, and sure you've paid your dues, but something tells me that the data that you have mm. is the exact data that this planet needs right now. Mm. And may God bless you, and thank you so much for all the people out there that would have loved to have said thank you to you. They maybe didn't even know where the data came from. They say, oh, well, that sounds interesting. I read it on Twitter somewhere. But they don't know that that's come from years and years and years of graft. And we're researchers, and we understand the importance of research. In fact, our little son is four years old, and he, we're homeschooling him. And he has research lessons every day. We, we teach him how to research. That's his mm -hmm. main thing we teach him and he's researching dinosaurs at the moment he knows more about bloody dinosaurs at the dinosaur research i've got to up my dinosaur research and um so uh, there's a lot of agreement on here and we just wanted to um uh his grace well, thank you sherry so much if there was a message that you wanted to deliver directly to the president, what would that message be? What would that message be? In a soundbite? Well, I would say, right. I, what, I would, what I would say is that um, there are two sides to this story and you need to hear the other side. You need to hear that there's another, where it's, you know, like Paul Offit and then would say, the science is done, you've lost. 
the science is all on our side. We we know this is we know all about. We got textbooks this thick. We know that this is that vaccines have been the savior of humanity. No, they haven't, Mr. President. They haven't. It's been hygiene. It's been potable water. There was an article that came out of Harvard in 2004 that said as much hype as they've been giving to vaccines, the most important thing that has been moved public health forward in the entire world over has been clean water technologies. So you're, you're getting one-sided advice. You're getting one-sided advice by somebody who's been deeply embedded in the pharmaceutical industry for his entire career and her entire career also. There's another side of the story that we, the people, are trying to get to you, are trying to get to you for a long time. And I would be happy to share whatever I know with you or anybody on your staff to give you the rest, the other side of the story to make the best decisions for the American people. Well, that is, uh, you can't say fairer than that. And we will do whatever we can to try to help your message penetrate and uh, to impeach. You know, the one other thing that I would say is, you know, our entire business, you know, Matt and I's business, Courses for Mastery, and what we do in terms of our boot camp and Vaccine U and the library and all the platforms that we have, the courses we have and the new social media platforms that we're launching tomorrow, actually. Um, <clears throat> our entire business is based off of the parable of the sower in the Bible. And, the, and I've been doing this for as long as I have because I always stand on the parable of the sower. And, you know, and, this, what, and so for those who may not know, I mean, the yep. parable of the sower is that the sower, <clears throat> the sower sows seeds. And some seeds fall on rocky soil and the birds pluck it up and it never goes any farther. Some go in and they start to grow and they get scorched out by the heat. And so they take heat from their friends and their family member and their father-in-law is a pediatrician and they just fold. Some start to grow and they start to get traction, but sooner or later they get choked out by the weeds. And then some good seeds go on the good soil and they grow up and bear fruit a hundred times over. And so the moral of that story is though, you never know which seed, which little factoid, which seed is gonna be the one to find its way to the good soil because you never know where it is. And even when those two things get together, you really never know what God's timing is to make it grow up and bear fruit. And so whenever over the years I've gotten really frustrated about why aren't they listening? I would realize that I've stopped being in the role of the sower and I've tried to make that seed grow. And so I, I've learned to not do that over the years. My job is to be Joanna Appleseed. That's what I do. I just sow seeds. I sow seeds. And I trust that God is going to put the right seed in the right soil and make it grow at the right time because everything is God's timing. And it's going to grow at the right time to grow up and bear fruit and manifest everything that we need. Well, that is Beautiful. one of our favorite uh, parables as well from the Gospels. And we are... I just find this a very beautiful moment is what I would say. A very, very beautiful moment. Um, thank you so much. Uh, You're so welcome. Thank you so much. If, if you are ever find your way to England, do please um, come and see us here at Camelot Castle. I'm absolutely sure that His Grace would enjoy welcoming you. Well, as soon as I can get back on an airplane, trust me, I'll be on one. After 9-11, I think I was one of the first people back in airplanes. I mean, because I fly 75 to 100,000 miles a year and have for the last 26 years. So I am always on that side of the pond. And well, so, so it would be not a big deal for me to come well, over there. That's all. <laughs> you're probably always working, but if you're 
want a little breather. You know, <laughs> the good thing about Kenmore is it's it's a good place to just sort of step off the crossroads of the world. And uh, the only thing to annoy one here is a couple of sheep, and they're not that annoying. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much for having me and having me on for so long and getting to share with you guys a whole bunch of different things. And I really appreciate your support, your help. And I hope you're right that this is the time. This is the time that's come to to save that save save humanity. I, you know, I put on my Instagram account that what I do, what my job is to save human DNA. That's my job. So that's what I'm trying to do. Well, I, I, I think it is because I think it is an assault. It, it, what we're witnessing is an assault on the genome. Mm. That's what we're witnessing is an assault on the genome. Um, Lord Robert Harbord Hammond, who is actually tuning in from Thailand, who's a very old friend of mine, a very respected old English family, and whose actually ancestor wrote the British Constitution. Wow. Or the, the, the seminal work on it. And... Um, he has said we've got to get this to Putin. And actually, mm. our viewpoint of President Putin, uh, of course, Irina being Russian, is far more familiar with his sentiments than than, than I am. But uh, I'm pretty familiar. And I, he is certainly very much uh, in favor of natural medicine. Mm. Um, and I've read that about him. Yes. Mm. He, I, 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 it's our personal opinion Healthy that lifestyle. the a friendship between Russia and America is the thing that uh, should be encouraged. Anyway, uh, it's been lovely to visit with you a bit, as they say in America. And uh, we will hopefully be able to welcome you again on our show and in person at Camelot. So thank you so much. I will say goodbye now. Thank um, you for being so generous with your time. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Believe me, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all the, the kind words that are coming up here over in the chat to all the people that have been listening and hanging in there with us all this time. It's really much appreciated. So God bless all of you. And please all connect with Dr. Sherry. Yes, please connect. Please connect. Good. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank Bye. you, Sherry. Bye. Bye-bye. Wow, that was beautiful. That was beautiful, and I don't know quite how we are going to beat that or how we are going to end this evening. But um, what I have actually found in the Camelot Castle TV archives, am I allowed to play your clip, darling? No, you play An Angie's clip, you promised. Well, I am going to play Angie's yeah. clip, but I'm allowed to play no, your... Not really, because I haven't seen it. Okay. Well, we'll have to keep that for another evening. But we've got a lovely clip to show you. And oh. I'm just going to, uh, this is, uh, was sent to us. Now, one of our great supporters on here, who I'd just like to say is a very good friend of ours, is Angie, I can never say her last name though, Vittori. Mm -hmm. Vittori, is that correct? She's a German lady who lives in Clearwater. And um, I'm just going to station. Open. Hang on one wait, second. Wait, wait, wait. What, one second. What you're uh, she sent us this clip. And um, this is really, I would say, a testimony to the president, but it is also a testimony to all those people out there who have sort of supported him and um, who have, I'm just trying to get the size correct. There we go. And just trying to get the 
size of this so we can see switch this. I'm going to switch the screen. This is uh, an extraordinary testimony. And you can see this on my Facebook page, but I thought we'd all just share it together because it's beautifully put together and it captures. Um, I'm just trying to see if I can make it a little bit bigger. No, I don't think I can unless okay. I put it into this screen here. Oh, dear. No. I buggered that up. Didn't I? That's okay. How have I done that? This is your president. Do no, you wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Go, go back. Uh, we're going back to there. Yes. We're going back to this screen, and I think that's the best we can do in terms of size. But you'll see that, and if you want to blow it up on your own computer, you can. Victory. This, and victory, victory. This victory. is saying victory. Angie, victory. So there we go. Very, very good lady. If you're ever in, 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 in Clearwater and you need to hire a fantastic car, yes, she is lady. the lady if you yes. ever need a car in Clearwater. And very, very, very reasonably priced and very good value and clean. And clean. Yes, clean. Immaculate. And she's got a lovely Mustang. Yes. Anyway, um, here we go. This is a clip which I think captures the spirit of America, the current zeitgeist, and just shows the extraordinary spirit that President Trump has. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. It captures some of the great highlights over the last uh, few months. Station, this is your president. Do you hear me? Station, this is Houston. Are you ready for the event?
is uh, really one of the greatest Trump, hang on one second, sorry, sorry, one second. Yeah, hang on one second, sorry, sorry about that. That's okay. You know, Camelot Castle TV, what can we say? We do it our way. And um, <laughs> it's not always the most professional. Of but operations, yeah, but we're triers, we're triers, you know. And uh, as the great Buddha of karaoke fame said, "Don't be shy, give it a try," you what know. What was the other thing he said? Uh, uh, don't be shy, give it a try. Give it a go, you never know. You give it a go, you never know. Don't be yes. shy, give it a try, and give it a go, you never know. Awesome. The two axioms we live by here at Camelot Castle TV, which of course the great Buddha of karaoke fame taught us many years ago here at Camelot Castle. Now, um, Lisa King has had goosebumps from the song, and Lisa so did King, I. Well, I had goosebumps. I, I, to be honest with you, I shed a tear. I shed a tear because- Yes, when, together we did when we watched it for the first time. We did. Thank you, Angie. And it has been the most spectacular evening. Um, I am going to ask, um, Ted, in his ministerial capacity, to um, give a prayer this evening. And uh, I'm going to turn the screen to Ted. You know You'll been... spot him immediately because Ted actually has the correct. You know, it's been almost three hours. It hasn't seemed like three hours, no, has it? No, not at no. all. There we Amazing. go. There's Ted. And there's the jumper. You see, there's the clue. He's what, That's one of his designer uh, jumpers. But there we go, Ted. Do please. First of all, um, good evening, everybody. And uh, thank you, John and Irina, very much. Uh, thank you, Dr. Sherry. Extraordinary listening to you. Um, please, if you'd like to join with me uh, and thank Almighty God and Father very much for everything he is doing to uh, change the world balance and to help us and our great leaders make the right decisions especially at this very, very important moment. So we ask him to bless uh, President Trump, our leaders here in the United Kingdom, 
also the Duke of Marlborough and for Dr. Sherry, we ask that our Lord Jesus Christ reigns the amount of rain required to mm. sprout forth those seeds that have been lying, waiting to grow in that fertile ground that she's been working on for over 20 years. It's amazing what she's doing. Mm -hmm. And so we ask you, Holy Father, to, uh, to make them fertile and grow strong. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Ted. That was very that kind, was Ted. Very I mean, I think we should all remember or, or, or keep uh, Dr. Sherry in our prayers. And of course, Dr. Eric Naputi, who actually introduced us, us and connected us, you see. And this is how these things happen. Dr. Uh, 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 Naputi came on here, Eric came on here, and then he called me yesterday and he said, you've got to speak to this young lady. And I think we should have him back. Oh, who would like to have Dr. Eric back? I think we should definitely have Eric back. I would love to have and, him back. And uh, I think it's very, very uh, important. Letitia Cash, lovely to have you here, Letitia. As many of you know, Letitia is the scion of sovereignty and is the spirit of sovereignty in these islands. Remember, the darker forces are actually far more stupid than one imagines, but freedom fighters are blessed with true intelligence and wisdom that will prevail. I think you're absolutely right. And of course, today we've got access to some fantastic, fantastic technology. We've got all of the Gospels of Christ, and we have the Quran. We have all the works of Buddha, mm -hmm. and we have the spiritual discoveries that L. Ron Hubbard made and the tools that we can use to administrate groups mm. that we can use to help uh, people get things off the ground mm. and help them create an ideal scene, you see. And that's the real game. Can we take the existing scene and turn it into the ideal scene? Well, for those of you that were paying attention last night and we talked about starters and stoppers. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, just for everybody that was paying attention, is Dr. Sherry a starter or a stopper? Definitely a starter. See, she's a starter. And she's a she's a life bringer. Is she a life bringer or a death bringer? You see? And this is how you very quickly can work out who is part of uh, the group. It's so easy to tell, actually, just from the comments and watching the comments. You know, somebody a starter or a stopper. Very, very easy. And there's a huge consensus yes. on having... Dr. Eric Naputi back. We've got to get Dr. Eric. We have to ask him. Uh, and Dr. Rashid, if anybody can get through to him. No, we, 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 we oh, I think we are already in touch with Dr. Rashid. And um, yes, you just never know what's going to come up on Camelot Castle TV. You will not find us in the Radio Times. You will not find us on the BBC schedule. You will not find us in the ITV logs. But you will find us in our particular corner of the internet. You will find us sitting on the edge of a cliff in Cornwall, mm. in the friendliest village in all of Cornwall, which is, of course, Tintagel. Mm. And for those of you that haven't been to Tintagel, let me tell you a little bit about it. People in Tintagel are the friendliest people that you have ever, ever met, especially Garvin Reynolds. Garvin who, Reynolds is fantastic. Garvin Reynolds is fantastic. And there's a number of other people here that are fantastic. And a lot of people here, a lot of our staff, our staff are, are watching. superb and they're watching and they're joining with us. 
and every night. And all we're trying to do here is put one or two things into the future that might be positive, plant a few trees, plant a few seeds, uh, give people the tools that they need. Um, so let's just share uh, what we know and uh, keep the tradition of uh, uh, Camelot going and keep the tradition. His Grace is very kindly joins us from um, uh, Blenheim Palace. Let's keep the winning tradition of the Churchill family uh, winning. And uh, that's certainly happening at the moment. Um, I'm sure many of you will enjoy visiting Blenheim when it reopens. The gardens there are quite spectacular. Uh, of course, the gardens here at Camelot. Uh, Caspian is our head gardener here, and he hasn't worked out how to make anything grow here yet either, <laughs> nor have we over 20 years. A bit of gorse we've got, so I can't brag gardens, but uh, you know what we lose in gardens, we make up for in enthusiasm. So it's lovely to have you all joining us. Anyway, it's been a great evening. I would say it's been an epic evening. Epic evening. What I would ask you to do, push the share button. Push the share button. And, and, and subscribe to Sherry. Subscribe to Sherry. Follow her on Twitter. Follow Eric Naputi. Push the share button. And after this goes down, start a watch party. Mm. And if you don't know how to do a watch party, find out. Find out how to do a watch party. You go into the share thing and you, it says share or watch party. You just do watch party. Sophie Collette says it's a beautiful coast. It is a beautiful coast. And actually tomorrow I may have a little surprise for you from the Camelot Castle archive. So Camelot Castle TV archive. Virginia, it's been lovely. Thank you so much. And do share this positive news. There are people out there who really do not have this information. Mm. They don't have it. So thank you, Angie, for that great video at the end. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, let's just do whatever we can. Let's hold President Trump in our prayers. Mm. And let's, you know, he's pushing the throttles forward on the economy. And that economy is going to lift off like a beautiful airship. And it will uh, do very, very well indeed. Circumnavigate the globe. Oh, yes. Uh, the freedom, the, the American philosophy of freedom we need it here. We need it here. And um, yeah, you're absolutely right, Ted. We can share that wisdom. All right. Keep sharing. And we will see you tomorrow night at our usual time of 9.30. 9.30. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Thank for, you, John, for, thank for you, organizing Donnie. this. Well, I think it was nice to, nice to see. Uh, Fantastic lady. I think it was very nice. She's impacted so many lives. So many lives, so many lives. Corfifi tomorrow. Yes, Corfifi maybe. We'll show the Corfifi clip. I think I've worked out how to do that now. Anyway, we'll see. Thanks a lot. Lots of love. Good night. Good night.